0: EK Publishing Media presents the Apocalypse Theater Podcast with Benjamin Allen. And that is a critical miss. Instead of stabbing the wizard, you stab yourself and now you and your entire party have been defeated. Good game. So welcome back to another magnificent episode of the podcast. I'm stuck inside, actually with what might be a fractured rib rather than any kind of virus. It's made producing this episode both easier and harder, easier in that I've had more time to work on it, but harder physically. A quick update, it's not official, but I have been re-recording and replacing old episodes of the podcast to align with our current episode model. So far, episode 1 and the Thanksgiving bonus episode have been replaced. You really don't have to listen to any of these episodes in order since some are like short stories or novellas, and others are serialized, but I do want you guys to have a decent experience when listening. But back to current matters. I sincerely hope everyone is staying safe during these weird times. If you find yourself bored or playing the same set of video games over and over, might I suggest we enjoy a quick game of d and I won't go too hard if you're worried about someone as twisted as me being your DM, but I also won't make this easy. Grab a D20, finish wrapping up that character sheet, and I'll see you on the other side. Episode 15, Richter's Gamble. 1. Richter watched the group of human student soldiers of Rainfall spar in the practice grounds as he paced around the front perimeter of the yard. All of the students were taller than him since he was one of the only dwarves most of them would see in their lives. His long, auburn hair was threaded into a ponytail that snaked down his custom-fitted leather trainer's tunic. He had a big, bushy beard that was currently unkempt because it was a Wednesday. Thursday was his scheduled grooming day, and it would take at least an hour to really trim him down. Raymond! He bellowed. If I see you ignore that
1: upper left again, I'm going to dislocate your
0: shoulder. Raymond instinctively covered his upper left before Zellner, his training partner, swiped his wooden staff between his legs and knocked him down. Richter gave a husky laugh as he continued down the line of students, casually critiquing the unbalanced forms of each of his lanky soldiers. They were weak, not like the dwarves who really knew how to drill and spar like they were preparing for something. The humans had numbers, numbers and no boundaries. They spread like a plague across the fields and valleys, consuming and cutting everything into lines. They liked things square and positionable and didn't know how to let well enough alone. Richter finally got to Zachary. He was the smallest, slowest, and weakest of the bunch. He didn't know how to fight and had no interest. He was only here because his father was King Fillmore. Several days earlier, Richter had to bloody three of Zachary's fellow students' noses because they wouldn't stop pummeling him in the changing rooms while no one was looking. Zachary hadn't thanked him for his help, but Richter didn't want his thanks. His father, the then Prince Fillmore, had all but eliminated Richter's people during a side campaign in his youth while his father took over the northern kingdom of Raskar. The boy's thin arms were bruised. His training helmet was the smallest size that they had in their inventory, but it was still a size too big and fit awkwardly onto Zachary's cranium. Zachary was sitting on a bench at the end of the line of students after being beaten by each and every one of his peers. He should have kept going, but instead the boy simply sat down and rested his practice sword on his knees. How was a teacher supposed to teach a student who had no interest in being taught? Richter might have been more irritated if this wasn't Zachary's regular habit. He thought he was only supposed to be here to check a box saying that he did his soldier training. All the other boys saw it the same way, so they made sure Zachary knew the score. If Zachary wasn't already demoralized by his lean and frail physique in contrast to the other boys, being dominated by all of them in succession certainly didn't help. Richter had tried to train him personally, but the boy always gave up and walked off. Any other student aside from the king's son and Richter would have flogged him within an inch of his life for such a performance. It certainly wouldn't have become a routine. No soldier was to put down their weapon during training unless blood was flowing or limbs were broken. Alas, Zachary was that elusive special case. Richter typically ignored the boy, but today, Zachary looked up at him and met his brown eyes. I read about you last night, Richter.
1: Oh? Did you read about how I fantasize about smacking royal pups for shirking their duties?
0: Richter growled. No, but I did find your campaign proposal to King Utgrad, Zachary said. Not just any words could jar Richter to near violence, but this was way out of left field. ''What did you
1: just say to me?''
0: Richter rounded on Zachary, taking a short but big step toward him. He suddenly looked fearful. ''I just saw the document with the papers my father confiscated during the war. We've been working on Dorvish in my linguistics class, so I was able to read your name at the top of the proposed—' ''Shut up!'' Richter raised his hand to slap the boy as hard as he could across the face before that horrified royal expression reflected how much trouble he would be in for doing so. Shaking, Richter closed his meaty hand into a fist.
1: You have no idea what you're talking about, boy,
0: he said lowly as the other students had ceased their sparring to look at them. Richter didn't give Zachary any more attention. He moved down the line and tried to ignore how furious he was at the little pipsqueak's audacity to speak Utgrad's name. Anyone else in Richter could get over it, but not Zachary Fillmore. No one with a Fillmore last name had any right to speak the name of his king after the slaughter that took place within the mountain corridors of Utmore. Once the students left for the day, Richter, with his bare hands, ripped apart one of the many straw and wood dummies they had mounted against the stone castle wall for bow and arrow practice. It didn't necessarily make him feel better, but better the dummy than the solid block of wood that was Zachary Fillmore. Richter knew he probably should have been cooler with Zachary than he'd been when two guards showed up before training classes could begin with a summons from the king. It had been five years since the king summoned Richter personally, and that was to see if he would join with the other teachers in celebrating Princess Fillmore's graduation after he said he wouldn't be coming. Richter couldn't pass on a personal request from the king, and Princess Ciara Fillmore was the only member of royalty that didn't have a head full of air. "'Good morning, Richter, my good man,' King Fillmore called across the throne room as Richter was escorted between the many towering ornate columns to the king's high chair." In the much smaller seat next to the king was his spawn of a son, the reason for Richter's being here this chilly morning. He wore a thin crown upon his head and a cloak of woolen royal blue fabric. His father wore a bigger crown with fake jewels in it and had a thick red cloak draped over his arms. Richter had known the jewels were fake from the moment he laid eyes upon the crown. It had taken everything for him to avoid belting out laughter the first time, but he'd restrained himself. Upon arriving at the bottom step, Richter dropped to his knee and bowed with his head down and eyes closed. He was supposed to say a silent blessing to the king for five seconds, but Richter merely took a few breaths, thinking of the warmth of the forge in the winter. You may rise, Richter. Richter got up and cleared his throat. To what do I
1: owe the pleasure, my
0: lord? he said smoothly. Glaring, the king turned his head toward his son and held out his hand. Zachary held up a sheaf of papers that the king didn't take. He cleared his throat and a guard hurried over to take the papers from Zachary and move them one foot of space into his father's open grasp. The papers were old. His heart sank as Richter recognized a few of them with his own scribbled handwriting imbued to the paper. The king took a deep breath. Zachary was just pointing out that, based on your own documents, there seems to have been a mistake in my understanding of your actual position in the late kingdom of Utmor. He changed pages until Zachary nodded. The little shit never actually met Richter's occasional glance. It says here that you are not a war advisor and teacher for Utgrad, but a war historian. You never taught anyone in your life before you began teaching my soldiers 16 years ago. I
1: was taught to fight in the war. Have I not shown your men how to fight the way we dwarves fight, rough and raw? Have you not won every battle without resistance since I became the tool with which to carve your men?
0: "'Yes, that is very true,' conceded the king. "'I'm not calling into question your success, but why you deceived my ignorance.' "'I didn't intend to deceive
1: you, my lord. "'I merely did not correct your ignorance. "'The two might not be very different, "'but I felt the latter might save my life from your wrath at the time when you... "'avenged
0: your people,' Richter said, being extremely careful with his words. "'Yes, that's also true. "'The two are a little different.' King Fillmore massaged his stubbled chin. "'What else was there, Zachary?' "'The campaign,' Zachary said. "'The yellow one.' The king couldn't hide that he was losing patience with his son's benign request until he read the translation Zachary had made of Richter's campaign. A darkness began to form in Richter's chest as he realized that he wasn't going to be able to get out of the situation without having to explain what they found at the bottom of Rugai Grotto. This wasn't good at all.' "'It was
1: nothing!'
0: Richter waved.
1: "'Merely the description of an old staff.'
0: "'Not according to this translation.' King Fillmore's eyes widened as he continued scanning the documents. "'Unimaginable destruction.' He whispered and shoved the papers back into his waiting guard's grasp before standing up. The king wore a stern glare upon his face that Richter remembered well from the night Fillmore had massacred his people. Richter shook his head. "'It's not worth
1: it, my lord.'
0: It seems that I'm at an impasse, said Fillmore. I could have you executed for lying to me, or I could just as easily force you to go in search of the staff in the Dark Harbinger. It seems that I am at no great loss either way. I guess I'd have to find a new teacher for my soldiers, but that shouldn't be difficult.
1: You need at least six well-trained and differently skilled enabled adventurers to even gain access to the staff. It's not an easy task, that,
0: Richter motioned at the papers in the guard's hands. The king sat back down and smoothed out a wrinkle in his gown across his legs before leaning on the cushy armrests of his high seat. "'What if I were willing to fund this little excursion we're musing about? What if I didn't mind giving you the freedom to assemble this?' He waved at nothing lazily. "'Band of adventures you seek. If you were to bring me the staff from your notes and it were powerful enough to do what your research suggests, would it not be worth the investment?' "'Sir,
1: even with the proper adventurers—'
0: "'You claim to have been able to find the means to do this under your previous king,' Fillmore interrupted. "'Why, then, do you protest when I throw money and resources to your cause?'
1: "'Sir, I don't think you understand the true cost—' "'The cost
0: I have incurred thus far has been a stagnant army for the better part of the last five years "'as my enemy across the sea builds fortification and industrializes his military. "'I must be undefeated!' He slammed his fist upon the armrest dramatically. Hear me one last time, dwarf. If you can't spearhead this task for me, then I will find someone who can, which means I don't need you at all. Now, which of these fates would you like me to simplify for you? Richter glared back at the king. He blinked and looked down at the steps before he nodded. Yes, my lord. I will do as you ask. Excellent. The king relaxed and grinned from his seat. You are relieved of your duty, Master Dwarf. Should you incur any expense, I shall cover it immediately. It is only for your years of dedicated service that I grant you this with confidence. Hurry along, Richter. Time is of the essence. The guards moved in to direct Richter from the throne room. Richter's last view would be burned into his memory in the days to come as Zachary Fillmore's smiling face looked demonically similar in his evil grin to that of his father. 2. Dragons were supposed to be noble, beautiful creatures, however horrific. Six hundred years prior, a massive elder copper dragon experienced a sudden heart attack after gorging itself on the livestock of a farm in the nearby countryside. It choked and literally died after plowing through the eastern wing of the city of Rainfall. The priests claimed it was a divine miracle that the dragon had been slain while the meat and bones were harvested for their many purposes. Six hundred years later, only the dragon's skull remained, positioned at the long end of a cobblestone street. What magnificent fate had become of this ancient and powerful being? Naturally, it had been transformed into one of the biggest bars in the city, Madman Marv's bar and grill. The skull was really only the front, as the back opened up to three-layered floors that were built into and upon the hill that had been formed from the dragon's initial crash that had permanently altered that part of the city's geography. Ella remembered that story every time she found herself wandering through the streets of Rainfall, looking for a drink to sate her thirst from the road. She was an elven emissary for the forest city of Vannaman. Most elves would avoid a place like Marv's, but it was really the only place you could get a decent meal with your drink in one location. The place had become renowned across the countryside for their famous barbecue dragon burgers, even though everyone knew there wasn't real dragon meat in them. It was a patty of finely minced veal jerky, the clever bastards. She entered through the yawning mouth of the dragon's cranium and bypassed the hostess, donned in a scantily clad leather getup. Making her way between the scurrying waitresses and servers, Ella approached the bar at the back of the middle deck. Behind the bar was a short man with dark eyes and short graying hair. He was shaking his head as he talked with one of the patrons. When he glanced up and saw Ella, he gave her his full stern attention. "'Hey, we don't serve your kind here!' Shut up, Marv. Ella approached the bar as he grinned and reached across the bar to take her thin hand in his. You know I'm just joshing you, sweetheart. Marv joked as he poured a mead from the massive wooden tank behind him. Dan, you're cut off. He pointed at a man before dropping the tankard of mead in front of his partner. Five fifty, my friend. Ella, did you bring money this time? Marv turned to her, his eyes moving to one of his other customers. Jesus, Bob, how many times do I have to tell you, coaster, coaster, coaster? He picked up Bob's glass and put the coaster that was right next to it under his cup to protect the wooden bar's surface. Ella patted her pockets. Crap, I forgot to go to the bank to change up. You might be cleaning dishes for me tonight, sweetheart. Dan, not for you, Marv pointed at the wasted patron who'd been about to down his sloshed partner's mead greedily. Whatever, Ella, we'll talk. First drink's on the house. Damn it, my staff keeps telling me to not do that shit. Whatever, my name's on the damn building. What can I get ya? He leaned on the countertop. Just a glass of mead would be swell, said Ella.
1: I'll spot ya,
0: a gruff, dwarven voice grunted behind her. An elderly dwarf that Ella had seen around town a few times spoke as he threw himself into the seat next to her. Dragonburger, Richter? Marv pointed at him. Pass, he growled. Gotta watch my figure, but get a glass for me, uh... He patted his own pockets. Marv looked between Ella and Richter. I can spot her, but you're shit out of luck, my friend. What, what, what? Richter stammered.
1: You can spot her and not me. Has everyone in this damn town forgotten that I've trained your sons over the last 14 years? I never asked for a free drink in my entire time in this town, and I always paid my dues.
0: Jeez, Richter, you don't have to make a freaking scene.
1: I just got shit canned, and I want a bloody glass of
0: mead, Richter hammered on the bar. Whoa, what's going on over here? A young woman put her arms around Ella and Richter's shoulders. Ella had never seen the woman before. She had curly red hair, wore thin, fitting black leather gloves, and Ella could tell just from brushing against her that she was armed with an arsenal of weaponry under her dark woolen green cloak. She looked to Marv. Barkeep, bottomless drinks for this sorry bastard and for me and my new elvish friend. She dropped a sack of coins on the counter that Marv swiped quickly. You got it, my friend. Bottomless drinks it is, Marv said. To whom do I owe the pleasure? Ella asked as she followed the girl to an empty table adjacent to the bar. Saladia. Saladia held up a gloved hand. Friends call me Cell. Richter followed the two and sat in a chair that put the wooden tabletop at level with his brown eyes. He growled, kicked the chair back, and grabbed a high chair from the rack of chairs nearby. It was made for children, but without a second thought, he punched through the wooden upper attachment and ripped away the pieces to make a tall stool. The entire bar establishment had gone quiet as Richter slammed the makeshift stool at the table side. Screw you, Richter, Marv called from behind him.
1: Piss off, you cheapskate,
0: he yelled over his shoulder. I got it, Marv. Zlottia pursed her lips as she gave him a thumbs up. Marv shook his head and continued his rounds at the bar. Richter grunted and looked to Ella. So, elf? Ella, she crossed her arms and glared at Richter.
1: Ella, I was just curious how good you are with that bow on your
0: shoulder there. He took a deep drink of his mead, which polished off half of the tankard. Good enough to kill a field dwarf from half a mile away, she cocked her brow at him. Field-dorf. Richter mouthed. Did I hear someone say bottomless drinks over here? A robed man with a bald head who was not quite but almost twice Richter's size appeared at the edge of the table. He leaned on a tall staff that was clearly a long, slightly crooked oak tree branch. I didn't want to attract a crowd or anything, said Saladia, worry creeping into her face as she counted the heads already at the table. No, no,
1: Father Mulligan,
0: Richter waved him over. It's just Mulligan now, I'm afraid, Mulligan said sheepishly. The head of the district of Omine decided my sermon two weeks ago was a bit too strong, even for their liking. He was wasted, Saladia whispered to Ella. Yes, I. Mulligan cleared his throat as he rested his fingertips on the edge of the tabletop. May have a bit of a monkey on my back that... Don't
1: need to say another word, father. Just pull up a chair and don't ask questions,
0: Richter waved at him. He looked between Saladia and Ella as Mulligan brought a chair to the table. Marv! Richter snapped and pointed at Mulligan's place. Sell, yea or nay? Marv called from behind them. Yay, but no more guys! She yelled. Party's full! No it ain't! Richter downed the last of his tankard. Marv! So, Richter, began Ella, you were asking about my bow. Thank you so much, Mulligan said as the waitress placed a frothy tankard of mead before him. To hell
1: with it! Dragon Burgers all around!
0: Richter called. Drinks only! Sladia yelled. Richter slammed his hands on the table and pushed his makeshift stool back before climbing to his feet upon the seat. Oh, Amine, brace yourselves, guys, Marv murmured from behind the bar as Richter turned to look at him.
1: Dragon Burgers on the King's Tab and no
0: more damn questions, Marv! Richter turned and collapsed onto his stool. Does this mean I don't have to pay for bottomless drinks? Sladia asked. "'Somebody over there is actually paying, right?' Marv called. "'This is getting embarrassing,' Ella groaned, figuring that she would probably be washing dishes for her dinner and drinks tonight. "'I got the drinks, okay?' Saladia raised her hands. Richter downed another tankard before dropping it on the tabletop.
1: "'Okay, now that I have your attention, Ella, Saladia, Mulligan, how would you three like
0: to—' He began but couldn't form the words. Richter lifted his meaty hands before closing them. Can't do it. It's too damn much to ask of anyone. What are you blabbering about? Salania asked. Would it help to start from the beginning? Ella asked, taking a sip of her meat as Richter stared at the table in thought.
1: I'll dumb it down for you. Twenty years ago, a digging crew and I found an underground chamber that gave us some indication that Chiron, the powerful sorcerer, locked up his staff and the dark harbinger before he died, Richter said. We found some tablets that we destroyed before King Fillmore moved in, shall we say. Anyway, I was able to translate the tablets and figure the precise way to get the staff. Long story short, the king's sorry brat of a son found and translated my notes while studying Dwarven and told his
0: father what I knew.
1: I'm at least canned, but if I want to keep my head on my neck, he's imploring me to expend whatever means
0: necessary to acquire it. So this quest really is on the king's dime. Saladia watched Richter carefully. It is, said Richter. But the cost is negligible.
1: It's the skill and trickery required that'll be the hard part.
0: Probably have enough skill to solve this thing between me and Ella alone, Saladia remarked.
1: Nope, we'll need six people.
0: Richter took a drink and leaned on the table with his elbow.
1: I've gone over the plan in my mind hundreds of times a day since I figured it out. Biggest tragedy of my life was that we were two days, two bleeding days of preparation from setting sail for the Harbinger. Then our Royal Highness busted down our door in the middle of the night, which happened to be daytime for the rest of the world. The rest is history.
0: Six people is a very specific number, said Mulligan as he ran his finger around the rim of his tankard. Why that number?
1: The number doesn't matter. You might could do it with more, very unlikely you could do it with less."
0: Richter thanked the waitress who intuitively brought him a new round and took his previous tankard. Dragon burgers! He roared. They're coming! Just slow your roll, Richter! Marv yelled. I'm intrigued, said Ella. She paused as she held the tankard in her hand, suspended above the table. But you don't think it's possible. Why? She brought the tankard to her lips and drank. Number one. Richter held up a finger.
1: We need at least three casters. Number two, we need a thief of considerable skill. That's before we can even get inside the harbinger. Number three, and this will be the hardest part, we need a helicopter.
0: Something tells me the king's dime won't cover that expense, Mulligan said. Nope, Richter said,
1: but I have a solution to that.
0: Really? Ella's serious demeanor finally broke as she grinned at the dwarf across from her. Richter looked between the three of his companions.
1: I told you we were two days out. Did you think we didn't already have the helicopter built?
0: Unless the helicopter is in the palace treasury, I'm assuming your people destroyed everything before Fillmore could rip off and backwards engineer your technology, Saladia said.
1: In most cases, yes, but we didn't have time to destroy the workshop dock and airfield in Utmore, so we just blew up the hallway. Fillmore never did figure out there was another corridor as men didn't pillage. That means our gnomish helicopter is still just sitting there on the boat, getting rusty along with everything else we'll need for the campaign.
0: So, Utmor would be your first stop on this little adventure, Mulligan asked as the waitress brought their dragon burgers to the table at last. It would have to be,
1: assuming we had two more
0: casters, Richter sighed, grabbing a burger from the tray.
1: I forgot to mention that one of the casters needs to be a bard or someone with a damn good set of
0: pipes on them. I have caster friends back in Shartan and Ire, said Saladia, but not around here, and I might kill a bard if I have to spend longer than five minutes around them. She took a burger and chomped into it. I had a very good singer in my congregation, Mulligan said, taking a burger. I might be able to convince her to join us. As for your other caster, I have a wizard friend who might suffice, if you're open-minded. What do you mean by open-minded? Ella squinted at him with her narrow green eyes. Let's just say my alcoholism seems manageable compared to his addiction to substances. Mulligan took a drink from his tankard. Ah, say no more. Saladia pursed her lips before she turned her attention back to Richter. Before we can even think about doing anything else with this, let's talk money. Let's acknowledge that we'd be risking our necks at the very least so that some rich guy could have a staff that's special.
1: The staff is capable of unimaginable destruction. It is the living, breathing life force that sustains the dark harbinger.
0: Richter spoke as he stared at nothing in particular upon the table's dark wooden surface. Even more reason to question the moral validity of doing this at all, Ella said, eyeing a dragon even though she wasn't especially hungry. Richter sighed.
1: I don't give a damn about King Fillmore. I don't care about the staff or even living, to be honest. I just want to try my luck at the Dark Harbinger. I just want to see if I can crack it.
0: That's a beautiful sentiment, Richter, said Mulligan coaxingly, but not very good incentive for anyone else involved.
1: If you want money, pick your number, said Richter. I don't even want to know what it is. Go get your other wizard and singer friends, give them the rundown, and if you're down, then in the morning we'll send those numbers up to the king.
0: "'Are you sure he said he'd cover this mission?' Saladia asked, glaring at Richter. "'Before
1: he effectively fired me, yes.'
0: He dropped his fists upon the table. "'So, any number?' Saladia narrowed her eyes upon him.
1: "'Any big giant number you want to pull out of your arse that seems to cover your services and what you think you are worth to do a day of hard work,' Richter said. "'Write that number down and roll the dice to see if the king has any interest. I'll tell you that he's fully aware that this is going to be expensive.'
0: "'Hmm,' Ella stroked her chin. "'Interesting. Let's talk danger.' "'Oh,
1: good heavens!'
0: snorted Richter.
1: "'There's a good chance the harbinger will grind each and every one of us into mulch. I have no guarantees of survival. If you feel confident in your own abilities, write that number on that paper as I said
0: before.' Everyone at the table exchanged a worried look except Richter, who continued drinking. After fifteen minutes more of drinking and making conversation, Saladia got the bill and ordered a final round for the table.' Once the waitress brought four tankards and placed each in front of its new temporary owner, Saladia held up her glass. "'I don't know about the rest of these pansies, Richter, but before we call it a night, I want you to know that you can count me in.' Saladia raised the glass higher as Richter got to his feet on his stool to meet her glass. "'What the hell? What have I got to lose?' Mulligan shrugged and took the handle of his tankard in one fist before raising it to Saladia and Richter's. "'Just keep this plant watered and I'll keep everyone alive to the best of my ability.' Maybe I'm a masochist, said Ella as she raised her tankard hesitantly. Maybe I just want to watch you guys make fools of yourselves. I'll come along for the ride, just for the challenge. King's reward split six ways doesn't sound too bad. She shoved her cup into the others and the four down their meads in one steady series of hearty swallows. Richter clunked the bottom of his tankard on the table first, followed by Mulligan, and then Saladia with Ella finishing last. She was never a big drinker and belted a quack of a belch before putting her thin-fingered hand to her mouth. 3. Waldo snorted awake as one of his magical alarms shot red sparks across his bedroom, setting the drapes against the far wall on fire. His adrenaline took over as he sprang from his cot to charge and tackle through the smoldering drapes. He wrestled with them as his scrawny ankles kicked from under his green robe. Once he had the singed curtains under control, Waldo got up and descended the noisy wooden stairs of his shack of a tower to find four individuals standing in his kitchen. Who the hell are you people? He asked before he recognized one of them. Father Mulligan? Oh, sorry to wake you so early, Waldo, said Mulligan from next to Richter and two skinny girls, one of whom was Elvish. The red-headed woman beside her had the blade of a knife between her fingers, ready to kill him instantly should he begin charging a powerful spell. We were just curious if you'd be interested in a proposition. Waldo was about to open his mouth when the spell of alcohol hit him like a train. Good omene! it smells like a brewery in here. Sorry, hiccuped Richter. Is that Seralia I smell? Saladia squinted at him as she lifted the knife and dropped the handle smoothly into her palm so she could sheathe it beneath her cloak with ease. Maybe. Waldo looked her up and down, assessing whether she could be a guard in disguise. He didn't think she looked out of her element enough to be a guard, so he relaxed. Would you like to roll a fat one? No, I was just curious, Saladia said. Oh, in that case, would you mind if I rolled a fat one? Waldo asked, looking between them. ''Now's not the best time, Waldo,'' said Mulligan. ''We were mostly interested in seeing if you'd want to come with us on a dangerous quest. We might die, but...'' ''You guys know I was evicted from my tower last month, right?'' Waldo asked. ''I'm only here until Thursday when the guards patrol the sector again.'' ''I did not know that,'' Mulligan blinked at him. ''Yeah, so I'm looking to make a quick buck. Is this little kid's party you're talking about paying well?'' ''It could,'' Mulligan said. ''It's very dangerous!'' Richter glared at Waldo. "'Sure it is, Short Round,' Waldo smiled. "'Short Round!' Richter scoffed.
1: see if you can smoke a doobie out your ass, Skeletor!'
0: "'You guys are free to crash here if you need,' said Waldo calmly before his demeanor changed as he rounded upon Richter. "'But there's a pigpen in the back for you, dwarf!'
1: "'That tears it!'
0: Richter stepped forward. Both Ella and Saladia grabbed his shoulders and held him back. "'Good Amine, what time is it?' Waldo shook his head as he waved his hands about. "'It's sunrise!' Ella said. Behind Waldo in the kitchen, a bag of coffee beans unrolled and slowly floated into a medieval grinding machine to grind of their own accord. Water from a kettle boiled and poured itself into a pitcher. Once the beans finished grinding, the grind floated into an ancient coffee press. The boiling water mixed with the coffee grinds, and the device magically pressed the ground beans. Upon completion, the press poured five glasses of coffee simultaneously. Waldo grabbed two saucers and threw them like frisbees to Ella and Saladia. They floated slowly and safely toward them as their filled coffee cups swirled onto the saucers. He did the same for Mulligan before Waldo grabbed two saucers with coffee cups on them. He stepped over to Richter and personally gave the saucer to him. No hard feelings, I just can't help myself when I see a dwarf.
1: You're lucky we need you, otherwise no one could ever need you again.
0: Richter pointed at him before he took the saucer of coffee. Wow, this is delicious, said Saladia. "'I probably should have paid the rent on my tower "'instead of buying sirelia grass and expensive coffee beans, "'but a vice is a vice,' Waldo said. "'Tell me about this quest you guys came here to ask me about.' "'You know about as much as any of us,' said Ella. "'It's dangerous and it pays well.' "'Say no more!' Waldo held up a hand "'and withdrew a hand-rolled cigarette from his robe pocket. "'As he did this, he motioned for them to follow him back outside. "'They stepped out to the dimly lit morning "'as the sun glowed on the eastern horizon.' The road leading back to the city was just beyond the tree line ahead. Waldo put the cigarette in his mouth and lit it with a flame from his thumb before puffing out a cloud of gray smoke. Did you guys want me to sign anything, or are we good? Saladia glanced at Richter. I guess we're good? That just leaves Dothory, Mulligan said. You mean Dorothy? Ella squinted at him. No, Dothory, confirmed Mulligan. She was the best singer in my congregation over the last year, and she loves traveling. I think she'll be keen on going. Everyone began filing into the street except Waldo, who stood, watching them. Uh, are, are we leaving now? He pinched the tip of his cigarette and pocketed it. Geez, I thought you guys were going to crash at my place for a few days and then we could go.
1: We'll crash on the ship,
0: Richter said. Hold that thought. Waldo re-entered his tower, opened drawers, and grabbed his things from the many different areas of the dilapidated wooden building where he was staying. It had once been a station for guards, but was abandoned for better lodgings. He plucked his tall, floppy hat from the door, put it on his head, and pocketed his long glass pipe. As he was leaving, he thought about putting on a new pair of trousers, but decided it wouldn't matter. Fifteen minutes later, Mulligan rapped on the door of a building in the wealthy district of the city. He had his four cohorts standing on the street behind him. A ten-year-old girl with big green eyes answered the door. Her hair had been done up in two large pom-poms at the back of her head. "'Mulligan!' She threw her arms around Mulligan, who patted her back and covered his mouth so as to hide the smell of booze on his breath. "'Good to see you, Dothory.' He looked around and noticed that all his companions were glaring at him. "'Way
1: too young, Mulligan!'
0: Richter shook his head. "'Too young for what?' Dothory asked. "'Oh, we needed a bit of help from a good singer, and you were the first one to pop up in my mind,' Mulligan said. "'But alas, I think my friend might be right.' It'll be extremely dangerous, and you're much too young for us to ask anything so difficult of you. She took a moment to think about what he had just said. In that case, I'd love to go. What? Saladia glared at her.
1: It might actually,
0: began Richter,
1: be okay. We only need the singer for one crystal, and assuming Ella doesn't mind taking on the additional cover, it might be fine.
0: Ella cocked her brow at Richter. Define additional cover.
1: I can explain everything back at the bar, but I think Dothori will be fine.
0: Richter stroked his chin over his beard. Saladia crossed her arms and rolled her eyes. Dothori, can we please talk to your father? Sure. She disappeared into her house. A minute later, an elderly man with cataracts was helped onto the front stoop by Dothori. Hello? He looked around, unable to focus on anything. Good morning, my name is Saladia. This is Richter. That's Mulligan, who you probably already know. This is Waldo, and this is Ella. We need a good singer to accompany us to a place that might be a little bit dangerous. Mulligan and Richter believed Dothori might be the best person for that job. Is it okay if we borrow her for a little while? If it involves singing, shrugged Dothori's father, then there's nothing I could possibly do to stop her from joining you on your journey. But it would be better if she stayed to help you, right? Ella asked. She has six sisters who would be happy to make sure my needs are met. Go, take her with you. He waved before re-entering the house. Cool, I'll go get ready. three hurried into the house to get her things. That was easier than I expected, Mulligan said. Saladia grabbed Mulligan and Richter's arms as she walked them back down the cobblestone path to the street. She shoved them both in front of her and put her hands on her hips. If anything happens to that girl on this trip, I'm holding the two of you responsible. I merely gave you my best recommendation, Mulligan spread his hands. I don't care, said Saladia. Make sure this isn't a decision we regret later. The Thori hurried down the steps, wearing a blue travel cloak under a leather backpack as she met with Mulligan's side. Ready! Mulligan swallowed as he looked up to Saladia's stern expression. He nodded and the six of them returned to the bar, which was closed for the morning. They filed into the city park across the street from the bar and sat between the children's reinforced wooden fortresses as Richter paced between them.
1: Now that I've gotten everyone's attention, this is where it gets serious.
0: Richter grabbed a stick from under a nearby tree and began drawing in the sand. He drew a large, three-pointed star and tapped it with his stick.
1: This is the Dark Harbinger. It floats 24,000 feet above the Adane Sea, and the entrance on the west side is locked tighter than a Dwarven treasure cube. As I've mentioned before, we'll need a helicopter just to get up to the Harbinger.
0: The group was staring at Richter intently, but the Thori was the only one who looked ecstatic at the prospect of flying on a theoretical helicopter.
1: Saladia, you're going to start the clock the moment you open the door. You can pick a complicated lock, correct?'
0: "'Uh, yeah, I can pick a lock,' she said, offended to even be asked. "'Good,' said Richter. He drew a circle in the middle of the star. "'As
1: soon as you open the door on the west, you'll personally enter the harbinger from that side alone, but the rest of us will have to float in from the underside that is now open to us and our vehicle. There are three parts of the harbinger that are crucial, and those are the three crystals.' "'Ella, you'll stay right near the middle and scan the whole inner harbinger for threats,'
0: he pointed at a spot in the center north of the harbinger.
1: "'Mulligan, you're here,'
0: Richter pointed at the lower east part of the star.
1: "'You'll use your healing magic on this crystal and on this crystal alone. "'Waldo, you'll do the same with your power for the north crystal. "'Dathori and I will go up to the upper level at the lower west side. Dathory will continue up the steps to the crystal and use her voice to activate the crystal at the southwestern point.' While that's happening, I'll be dealing with the Guardian while Ella keeps everyone safe with her pinpoint accuracy.
0: Richter had made a complete mess of the star he'd drawn in the sand as he marked the hundreds of potential threats and dangers to this entire process. When he looked up, everyone looked completely lost.
1: It will make sense when we get inside. Just remember your part. So you have one of the more difficult tasks of navigating through the inner workings of the Harbinger alone, but I'll need you to get the middle piece from the Guardian once you get through. I'll explain more later. Does everyone else basically understand
0: their job? So I'm not healing, Mulligan asked.
1: You might heal yourself, but it's unlikely you'll find yourself anywhere near your companions to be able to do anything for them while you charge the crystal.
0: All I have to do is sing? The Thori asked.
1: Yep, that's it.
0: Quick couple of questions. Waldo held up three fingers. Helicopter. Adonai, C. Exit strategy.
1: "'Good work, Waldo,'
0: Richter sighed as he bent the stick in his grasp.
1: "'All excellent questions. The helicopter will be step one in the plan. "'Step two will be the boat the helicopter is currently on. "'As for exit strategy, assuming we get that far, we just escape onto the helicopter. "'Simple, right?'
0: "'There will be additional dangers, correct?' Ella asked.
1: "'Definitely,'
0: Richter shrugged.
1: "'I'm warning you now, if you don't think you've got the skills to cut it, don't come.'
0: This is going to be awesome, Thori grinned.
1: Could be awesome,
0: began Richter warily.
1: Could be a massive disaster from which none of us return.
0: How did you learn all of this? Mulligan asked. I'm a historian, said Richter.
1: You topside dwellers couldn't possibly know how much history there is beneath your tiny feet, but dwarves regard historians as oracles. "'Without us, your excavation crew would never know when they were about to uncover a trap, "'or if a dangerous ancient being had been sealed and trapped between the walls ahead. "'We know where to go and where not to go, "'but it also means we have to translate old texts and engravings constantly. "'I was with my king's royal crew when we uncovered the golden chamber.'
0: "'Richter shook his head.
1: "'I've never seen so much gold in one place, "'but the texts we uncovered there claimed the staff of Chiron was the ultimate treasure.' It explained the story of the sorcerer who became so powerful he had to consolidate his power to the staff of Chiron just to be mortal enough to die. Before he could do something so bold as to kill himself, not an easy feat for an immortal sorcerer, he created the Dark Harbinger to house the staff of Chiron with hopes that no one would ever think it necessary to recover the staff before its power could be depleted from powering the
0: harbinger. What? Waldo's eyes bogged from their sockets as he popped his ears by squeezing and blowing through his nose.
1: Powerful sorcerer, powerful staff.
0: Richter held up both hands to Waldo.
1: Sorcerer gives up staff for the peace of death, but his staff needs 20,000 more years to die. Therefore, the Dark Harbinger was created by said sorcerer. Any questions?
0: So this thing has been floating over the Adane Sea for aeons because some snowflake sorcerer wanted to be a drama queen? Got it. Saladia said.
1: Sounds like we're on the same page, said Richter. I don't think the harbinger is something we should even be worried about at the moment. Utmor is going to be far more dangerous since the place has been overrun by goblins. I'm hoping a little council with the king will award us a small army with which to clear a path to the defunct halls
0: of my kingdom. 4. The king doesn't wish to see you. The guard told Richter from the castle gates after returning from within the castle to see if their band of travelers would be able to acquire assistance from the king.
1: "'Shove it up your arse, Quinley!'
0: Richter yelled.
1: "'I spent all night assembling my team, and I can't move forward without the assistance from the throne. Assistance he told me I had!'
0: Quinley, the guard barring the entrance, rolled his eyes and looked to the guard on the other side of the threshold to the castle. He looked back and shrugged. Quinley sighed. "'Give me a minute!' He hurried back inside as Richter turned around to his now skeptical party.
1: He's got our backs,
0: Richter assured them. He swallowed hard as he turned back to the castle. Come on, he growled. Quinley returned after five minutes with an irritated look on his face. The king still does not wish to see you, but he wants you to know that your gamble is still on. In good faith to your quest, the king has awarded you and your party 20,000 gold pieces to use for equipment and rations for your journey. Yes! Richter pumped his fist as two guards carried a heavy box of gold coins from behind Quinley. They placed the box in front of the six heroes who looked more like they might murder one another for the deposit rather than split it evenly. Holy crap, Sluttya yelled. That's a lot of scratch. Gold pieces. Ella opened the box to see 20,000 small gold coins within. Actual gold pieces. Jeez, this is the real deal, isn't it? You
1: bet you're behind, said Richter,
0: slamming the box closed before latching it.
1: This is nothing. The treasure we'll find on the harbinger will make this look like pocket change.
0: Well, Richter, sighed Saladia, I think I owe you an apology. Here I thought you were some brilliant scam artist trying to get free drinks from the bar, but you actually did have the king's dime. Richter nodded but glared at her and everyone else in the party.
1: Save your apology for after we get through the harbinger. Going forward, I'm not going to tiptoe around your feelings and massage your egos. Waldo,
0: put that out for a second. Waldo breathed out a cloud of smoke before dashing the smoldering contents of his pipe in the grass nearby.
1: We've got a hard task ahead of us, and it won't be easy. That being said, this is your last chance to bail before I consider each of you permanent. One last time.
0: Are we cool? Richter crossed his arms and put his fat leather boot on top of the chest of golden coins. Dothori, beaming, looked around at her companions, all of whom were feet taller than her other than Richter, who was about her size. I'm In. In. Mulligan put a hand onto Thorey's shoulder. That money's not gonna spend itself. Count me in. Saladia scratched a spot under her leather glove. Ella shrugged. I think I can take time out of my busy schedule to help spend twenty grand on new equipment. I'm in. Putting twenty triple G's in front of a desperate mage is dicey, said Waldo. Assuming you guys don't mind me stinking up your rear, I'm in. Excellent, said Richter.
1: The most important thing we can do now is find us a ship captain who ain't afraid of a few high waves. I'll do that while you guys go get everything you might need for the journey. A thousand gold each should be enough to get everything you do need. We'll meet back at Marv's in a bit. Any questions?
0: No one asked questions as Richter dished a thousand golden coins into each person's coin purse. Dothory's eyes were huge green saucers as she received the same amount of money as her adult companions'. Mulligan bit his lip, unable to hide the crooked grin forming on his face as his money pouch became fat and heavy for the first time in his life. Waldo's money bag didn't get any bigger, and when Richter peered inside to figure out the physics behind why, he saw a pair of red eyes glaring back at him from the darkness within before Waldo sealed the pouch with the drawstrings. Ella kept a neutral expression as Richter filled her purse to the brim. I'll join you, Richter, Slotia said after Richter filled her pouch. Richter picked up the treasure box and put it under one arm.
1: Happy to have the company. You and I have much to discuss. Everyone else, meet back at Marv's after lunch.
0: Dothory followed Waldo across the street to the candy and jerky store. With as much speed and enthusiasm, Mulligan hurried into the bar a few buildings down as Ella made her way to the light armorer. If we plan to venture away from the coast into the Adane Sea, we'll need someone who's both skilled and crazy enough to man the helm of this ship you already have prepared, Saladia said as she and Richter made their way down the smooth cobblestone street. I know my friend Stuval would love to be a part of something like this, but he was on his way in the other direction when I saw him a few weeks back. I did, however, meet a pretty swell pirate lady at one of the dock bars several days ago.
1: Are you talking about Maluda?
0: Richter cocked his brow at Saladia. She nodded.
1: That's exactly who I had in mind. I trained her brother. She used to come pick him up and we'd have a drink at Marv's after she dropped him off at the house. Good lady.
0: Sad story. Harder than diamond, that lady. Saladia agreed. The two turned the corner and made for the wharf district of the city. Saladia, said Richter, you can call me Sel, she interrupted.
1: Sel, you and I need to trust one another more than anyone else. I mean, we all need to trust each other, but Chiron, the sorcerer who designed the harbinger, he made it a requirement that the sneakiest, most deceptive party member would need to be able to trust and come back to the party. You will be the one to get the staff, but if you choose to run, you will be killed on the way out. I'm not bluffing you, I'm just warning you. I'm telling you that based on what happened to the most successful party that very nearly acquired the staff.
0: What happened to them? Seladia asked.
1: Only the leader came back,
0: growled Richter. The
1: thief betrayed the party, thought they could leave with the staff. The entire party was incinerated before the harbinger's gauntlet was reset. It was a game to Chiron. He spent decades plotting out how he could test the spirit of civilization he despised so greatly.
0: Thanks for the heads up, said Saladia. He said I'd be alone up there. What might I be facing?
1: Every kind of trap you can think of,
0: Richter replied.
1: You'll have to pick a number of complicated locks, and I even have dynamite in case you need to make a passage of your own.
0: You've really thought of everything, haven't you? Saladia smirked at Richter.
1: I know this gauntlet inside out. I've prepared for everything I can think of, but none of us have prepared for what Chiron might have concocted. "'Honestly, don't even know if it's possible to retrieve the staff without destroying the harbinger. "'It's my fear that the cost of getting the staff is the death of you and your entire party.'
0: "'Have you prepared for that?' Saladia asked. "'The two stepped on to the plank dock quarter of the wharf district.
1: "'As long as everyone does precisely as they're told, I should be able to get everyone out alive. "'As for getting the staff, that's going to require us going through a gray area "'between you acquiring the staff and you reuniting with our party.' I don't know what trials Chiron might have for you once you avoid the temptation to flee.
0: Don't mind me asking, but what exactly did happen to the thief who tried to run away? I mean, what was the actual cause of death? Sludia asked. The
1: harbinger is a powerful magical artifact,
0: said Richter. Its
1: very existence is held together by the staff of Chiron. The thief tried to levitate toward the sea below using a temporary levitation spell. It might have worked, except the harbinger fired a bolt of arcane energy at him that incinerated him before magically magnetically returning the staff to its original placement. What I personally believe you'll have to do is get the staff and hand off the staff to me when you get the chance. There's actually a place where I believe this handoff should occur in the Harbinger's map design.
0: Any chance we'll have the Harbinger's map? Richter clicked his tongue as the two stopped in front of the bar that was just opening to the sailors for the morning. It's all on the boat at the docks. Of course it is, Sladia said. She pushed open the bar door and entered. Almost every head turned to look her up and down as she and Richter walked down the aisles of sailors to the lower dock where the harder men and ship captains liked to mingle. Saladia stuck her head into the kitchen and asked if anyone knew where Maluda was hiding out. She's hung over in the captain's quarters on her ship, one of the chefs came out in his apron to tell Saladia. Feel free to go knock on the door, but I'll warn you she keeps a loaded pistol at the ready in there. Barging in might be the last thing you do. They walked down the stone passage, passing docks with already prepared ships of different sizes moored at angles along the harbor. Several packers hauling goods to and from the vessels were able to point them in the direction of Maluda's ship. The two made their way down the long plank deck to her sizably fully rigged ship that was harbored against the docks. It was ten in the morning, so all of her crewmen were either at the bar or asleep somewhere in town. Sladia and Richter crossed the wooden stepping board to her vacant ship and stood before Maluda's captain's quarters. There were already holes in the door from where she'd blasted through previously, so Saladia withdrew a metal rod from her pocket the size of her fist. When she swung it out, the rod extended to a three-foot length. She parked on the side of the quarters as Richter stood on the other. She rapped heavily on the door's wooden surface. Maluda! Saladia called, knocking on the door with the rod. An explosion issued from within as pieces of wood peppered the both of them from somewhere that neither of them could see. A second explosion blew an additional hole through the top of the door. A woman within swore as they heard a commotion from inside. "'What is it?' she yelled. The door kicked open and the nozzle of a single-barrel shotgun slowly emerged. She rounded the corner quickly in Saladia's direction. Saladia whipped her metal stick into the air and parried the gun's nozzle skillfully but not forcefully. "'Oh, it's you!' Maluda plucked a cigar from her lips to dash it as she rested the shotgun's barrel on her shoulder. She had a holstered pistol in her leather belt but she wasn't wearing pants so the get-up looked awkward.' Maluta was a bald woman who could be anywhere from 50 years old to 25 if the sun was truly giving her regenerative powers as she claimed. No one knew her precise age due to the stories she told at the pub about how many years she'd been captaining her ship, but it was common knowledge that she had spent her entire life on a boat, that she had a love of money as any pirate would, and that she had a short temper that was more likely to be a man's undoing than any potential romantic prospects the same man might have for her. This morning, she wore a pair of leather boots, a pair of black lace underwear, her gun belt, an open blue denim shirt, and that was it. We were warned waking you might be dangerous. Saladia lifted the metal rod, pressed a button on the side of the device, and watched it collapse back together in her fist before pocketing it. Maluda, Richter began. Maluda instantly whipped the pistol from its holster to point it at Richter, but her eyes widened as the weapon that she had discharged earlier scalded her grip. She reflexively tossed the pistol where it fell somewhere below deck, shaking her hand to cool it off. Richter? Why would you sneak up on someone like that? I didn't mean to, I just happened to be with Cell. He breathed a sigh of relief as he lowered his hands. Maluda motioned at the box with her pointed gun. What's in the stash? We were just curious if you'd be willing to take on a new mission, Saladia began. How about we have a drink at the bar? Now you're speaking my language, Maluda said. Hold on, let me go get some pants. "'You don't want it,' Waldo said with his face next to Mulligan's drunken expression as the two pressed their faces to the glass of a wand and staff store. Within the front display case stood a tall, granite-gray staff with the number 800 next to it. Waldo stepped back. "'Seriously, you don't want it. Scarbage, grabage, bar he drawled before strolling on down the avenue with Mulligan following. "'We should buy something,' said Mulligan. "'Richter gave us all that gold so we could prepare for the journey.' "'You mean like food?' Waldo held up a hand, conjuring a loaf of bread. "'Water?' A glass carafe of water appeared in the other. He banished the items to smoke. "'I've had a brand new bedroll in my forever bag for the better part of a decade that I've never used.' "'No, what we should do?' Waldo put his arm around Mulligan's shoulder as he held up a hand to underline the potions and alchemy store ahead of them. "'Is invest that money?' "'Invest?' Mulligan's feet went along with Waldo's as the two casters moved toward the building ahead. Yeah, enchanted potions are the new thing. The salesman and Waldo began making its case. Say this whole venture turns dicey. Maybe too much is going on for your mana pool to keep up. What do you do? Get yourself a potion of temporary mana accelerant. That'll keep you going for at least another minute until things cool down. You can make a potion last throughout a quest, usually assuming it doesn't turn into a giant event. ''Your idea of investing sounds a lot like Richter's idea of preparation,'' Mulligan pointed out. ''You think so?'' Waldo asked. ''You guys haven't bought anything?'' Ella's voice from behind them made the two turn around. She had purchased a set of thin, elvish-reinforced travel gear. Next to her stood the Thori, who had donned a squire's leather garb. Ever since things became more about fashion than defense, only the wealthier adventurers were able to afford such nice equipment.'' Sorry our needs are different from that of the common ranger, Waldo said snidely. Both of you need new robes, said Ella. I've got to visit the weapons shop. The magician's robe is next door. Come on. Coming. Coming. Mulligan hurried to go with them. No, no, what about the potions? Waldo sighed, following them. Ella quickly got everyone back on track. Mulligan acquired a thick woolen gray travel cloak to cover his royal blue gown. With Mulligan trying on robes, Waldo decided to do the same. He traded his shabby thin green robe for a nicer reinforced green woolen robe. Waldo bought the same travel cloak Mulligan had purchased but in black instead of gray. Once they had finished, the four of them went next door for Ella to purchase six pre-wrapped quivers of arrows with the hairline notches for her thin elvish bow thread. Waldo was able to convince the four to travel to the potion shop where Dothori purchased a VR potion, specifically for voice restoration. It was actually brewed for opera singers, but bards frequently bought them out of stock when they could get their hands on them. Does anyone need anything else? Ella asked. She pointed at Waldo. We've got snacks, rations, specialty potions. She moved her finger to Dothori. Robes and equipment, backup arrows, you guys are good on weapons. Last chance to buy a different staff, Mulligan. Mine will be fine, he nodded. If everyone's ready, then we should see if Richter and Saladia found our ship captain at Marv's, Ella said. They returned to Marv's. The bouncer, a burly man by the name of Clint, gave them trouble about Dothori's age, but Marv intervened. It's one in the freaking afternoon, Clint! She's with three other adults! Get this stick out of your ass and enjoy getting paid to stand there looking scary! Got it, boss, Clint said neutrally. Saladia, Richter, and a woman the four hadn't met were already seated at a table. Three empty tankards already surrounded Richter, which meant they had only just arrived. Mulligan eagerly joined them as Waldo gave the three of them a thumbs up from the side patio doorway, a half-smoldering cigarette in his hand. Dothory and Ella pulled chairs from other tables to join the others at the meeting.
1: Marv! Beer's all around!
0: Richter called. Make sure I don't catch that kid drinking, Marv said. With it being just after lunch, he had time to come out and actually meet with them. Most of the bar was vacant save for a few late lunchers. Okay, began Richter.
1: "'I've basically filled in Maluda. "'That would be our newest party member. "'The details of her job, which will be to ferry us across the ocean "'and then sail in circles until we return.'"
0: "'And I've already informed Richter that that's not how it works on the open sea, "'but I think we understand one another,' Maluda took a drink.
1: "'If you come back to the same place you started from, you've sailed in a circle,'
0: Richter argued. "'Fine,' she crooked her jaw. "'Once we retrieve your boat, we're going to come back here and pick up my crew.' Fair enough, Richter shrugged.
1: It's been almost 17 years since she was in use, so I don't know how bad the decline will be.
0: Very likely substantial, but we'll see what we can do, Maluda said.
1: Anyway, looks like you've packed well, said Richter. Hope those travel cloaks are mountain grade because our next objective is Utmor.
0: Five. Two days later. Silence filled the corridors of the ancient city of Utmor. The dwarves preferred large halls because space was a commodity. Endless space was dangerous, but contained space was luxurious. A dwarf could fall in love with a field of towering columns that expressed the might and control of the king. If these were his lands, then they were lands worth dying for, much in the way that a human might die over a piece of property. Long had the silence gone on in the upper levels of Utmor, only to be disturbed by a sudden unprecedented series of thrums and crashes. Someone yelled. A familiar someone, if those halls could talk. Another explosion rocked the darkened entry foyer that had been quiet since the humans decided venturing deeper into the Dwarven mountain realm wasn't worth the effort after eliminating the Dwarven people that had existed there for centuries. Spiders and insects who had made the threshold to the deep their homes skittered into their hiding places as the tall doors to the great city were suddenly cast open.
1: Inside!
0: A dwarf hollered. He and six others rushed into the great cavern before a mass of flame consumed the passage behind them. The dwarf hurriedly slammed the large stone doors closed with the help of his friends.
1: I had no idea there'd be dragons patrolling outside,
0: he said as he sank against the doors. A sudden crash against the door made him get up and step away. A sniffing sound issued from beyond the doorway followed by a groan of acceptance. I think it's gone, Saladia said after a few seconds. In
1: that case, welcome to Udmor!"
0: Richter lit a torch to illuminate the defeated entry foyer of Udmor. The dusty bones of his companions across the underground field were all that remained as a reminder of the last stand his people had made against the ruthless king of the humans. How ironic that here he was, one of the last living who had actually witnessed that battle from the losing side, on a mission to retrieve a powerful artifact for that same evil king. It somehow felt worse to Richter that they should have to defile his brother's resting ground to use their technology and know-how to obtain it. Are you okay? Ella put her hand on Richter's shoulder as he paused to look at the bones of a young dwarf who was clutching his axe to his breast, the skull of that body missing because the king had put a bounty on skulls, not enemies defeated.
1: I'll be fine.
0: He stepped out from her grasp and continued along the path to a corridor where several spots had caved in, showing light from the outside world upon the debris of the subterraneous passage. The light ahead flashed before the passage shook. Dust rained across the path through the beams of light illuminating the way. A massive orange reptilian eye appeared at one of the cracks, scanning the exposed path from the outside. We'll
1: have to take the low route,
0: said Richter as he backtracked. Saladia, Ella, Mulligan, Waldo, and Thori stepped over the disheveled plates of stone that had been the recipients of Fomor's catapults once they were able to get them inside. Richter led the group through the dimness to a grand set of steps where the bones of his brothers lay across the stairs. It was impossible not to be emotional about it, but Richter assured himself that he had an important task here. It wouldn't take long for them to depart. Then they could continue the long process of becoming one with the mountain. Stop! Ella sat at the base of the steps. Everyone did. They were able to view into a grand underground valley that was full of dwarven houses and villas of Utmor. What are we looking at? Waldo whispered to her. Ella didn't look at him, but silently stepped over the debris from the wall as she drew her bow from over her shoulder. She grabbed three arrows, spent five seconds making micro-adjustments to each notched arrow's targeted position, and then released them into the dark. Her arrows sailed through the scenery as no one behind her moved. (sighs) There issued a distant screech. Goblins, Richter growled. Ella's eyes darted across the faraway ruins of the Dorvan city. She put her bow on her shoulder before turning to the others. We might be in trouble. I took out the lookouts, but there are hundreds down there. They also know someone's here from that last guy's scream.
1: Let's hold the outskirts and see if we can sneak past them,
0: said Richter. There's
1: a passage on the other side of town that leads to my workshop and the
0: airfield, Ella squinted. "'It won't work. They're already stirred up. Somebody should think of something soon because we're about to have a severe incoming.' "'I have a plan,' said Dothory. "'Let's kill him with kindness.'
1: "'Don't think this one understands the nature of goblins,'
0: Richter remarked. "'Waldo, do you have the Amplify Voice spell?' Dothory asked. "'Do I have the Amplify Voice spell?' Waldo asked sarcastically before thinking about it. "'Do I have the Amplify Voice spell?' He took out a small journal from his breast pocket and flicked through it as he licked the corner of his mouth. Yeah, big and coming. Ella mounted a large dwarven statue and readied her bow. The ground beneath them was rumbling, the small stones and sand dancing from the mass of movement coming for them. A sheet of black began to cover the valley ahead. This doesn't look good, Mulligan swallowed. Richter popped his neck and drew two hand axes he had made before the journey. He clashed them together as he took the lead. Bring him on! Amplification of sound, Waldo held up a finger. That'll work, Dothory said. Mulligan, please tell me you have a candle or two in your bag. Of course, but whatever for, Mulligan asked.
1: Quit your yapping back there, I'm trying to concentrate,
0: Richter yelled. The field of movement in the distance was drawing closer as a line of goblins charged for them. They were about a mile out, but they knew exactly where their attackers were. Mulligan withdrew a pre-wrapped candle and wax paper and gave it to Dothori, who gave it to Waldo. I need twelve balls of wax small enough to fit in everyone's ears, said Dothori. If I do this right, we'll put our enemy right to sleep. Are you sure about this, Dothori? Saladia asked, looking between her and the surge of Goblinkin coming for them. Trust me! She withdrew a lute that was nearly the size of her and laced the strap over her shoulder so she could stand and play at the same time. Waldo used a little fire magic to melt twelve balls of wax from the candle that cooled quickly when he dropped them on the stone. As he finished two, Saladia gave a pair to each party member until he finally made some for himself and Dothori. Hit me, Waldo, Dothori called. Never actually had to use the spell, but here goes. Waldo aimed his hands at Dothori. Maxoli! Dothori strummed the lute, sending a reverberating boom through the building like it was a concert hall. Ella dropped from her perch upon the statue and followed as the group marched toward the oncoming doom that was nearly upon them. Dothori fluttered her fingers over the strings as she stepped around the debris upon the stone floor. The group could feel the bassy boom of the sound through the floor, but they weren't able to hear the specific notes Dothori was playing. She rocked her head left and right and danced in circles as she bit her lower lip, her pom-pom hair bouncing with her motion. Ahead of them, the front line of goblins crested the ridge and lulled to a slow, molasses-like flood as the undercreatures were suddenly deeply fatigued. Ella rocketed off arrows into the crooked craniums of the goblin kin that were more resistant to the Dothori's charms. The Thori hit a solo and the party could literally witness the eyes of the goblins roll into the backs of their heads as they fell face first into the ground. They crawled and rolled back and forth, unable to move from the massive sound that infected them with overwhelming exhaustion. Their weapons slipped from their claw-like fingers as they collapsed in a globular shape around the group. Richter hacked a goblin down with both axes as Dothori speedwalked through the village at the bottom of the underground valley ahead. Saladia kept her knives at the ready as thousands of goblin kin were rendered completely helpless by the Thori's majestic looting. They kept a tight circle, Saladia and Mulligan covering the rear with Waldo, Richter, and Ella covering the sides in front around Dothori. She opened her mouth and sang the words to whatever incredible song she was playing. Unfortunately, she and the goblins were the only ones who would enjoy the luxury of knowing what those words were. As Dothori danced through the wrecked dwarven streets, the group followed, Richter pointing them toward a massive, columned corridor ahead. Goblins fell from the windows of the buildings that towered over the streets. One's crooked axe slipped down a rooftop over them and Mulligan was able to catch it before it could land on Dothori. Other than where she needed to go and what she needed to play in order to keep the song going, Thori was clueless to her surroundings. They were almost through, though. Most of the goblins were still struggling to chase after them before succumbing to the sound once more, leaving a writhing mass of the monstrosities at their heels. A massive bridge lay at the mouth of the corridor where they were headed. Two great dwarven statues towered over the threshold. A sense of anticipation filled the party as they drew closer to their destination. Thori was drenched in sweat and her fingertips on her right hand were growing red from plucking aggressively for fifteen minutes straight. She danced and played on like a champion, the group moving around her in a protective circle. Ella took down a trio of goblins in succession that had just hurried across the bridge two hundred yards ahead. A sudden boom was followed by blinding light before a mass of flame and heat scorched through the hordes of goblins behind them. The group watched as the ceiling collapsed beneath the gargantuan, very pissed off and hungry copper dragon that shot them an intimidating roar upon completing its descent into the great valley at their backs. Goblins crawled upon the dragon's haunches like ants as the dragon roared and swept through them as if they were the tiny insects themselves. The group jogged toward the bridge as the dragon mowed through the goblins, completely uninterested in anything other than Richter and the rest of the party.
1: We're not getting out of this without a fight,
0: Richter yelled.
1: Keep going! I'll meet up with ya!
0: He hurried into a tunnel nearby. Richter! Saladia yelled. Idiot's gonna get himself killed! Saladia ran after Richter as the other four made for the bridge. Dothoria laced the loot upon her back as she and the others plucked the wax from their ears. Behind them, the copper dragon slammed through the already ruined Dorvan village, setting the field of goblins standing in its way aflame. Its mean face glowered directly at Waldo, who'd just lit a Cerulea cigarette. He opened his mouth to breathe out a cloud of smoke as the dragon fluttered its wings and spanned the distance between them in one quaking hop. It landed thirty yards from them as the Thori, Ella, and Mulligan reached the bridge. Just as the dragon was about to launch a jet of flame at the whole group of them, Richter launched himself onto the dragon's neck from the balcony nearby. Blood rained down its throat as Richter hacked both axes through the giant lizard's backside, wrenching its head reflexively upward as the fire blast it had been preparing flooded into the ceiling. Richter struggled to hold on, the dragon wrestling through the air to free himself of the vicious dwarf. In one sudden whip crack of its neck, Richter was chucked straight into the air. The dragon snapped its mouth open, exposing a maddening maw of jagged teeth. Richter fell straight for his doom, before Saladia jumped and smashed into his side from the balcony. The two went sprawling through the window of a building on the opposite side of the passage. The dragon's thorny face appeared in the window as it charged a destructive beam of fire that would turn the two into barbecue. A huge ball of fire struck the dragon on the side of its face, causing it to whirl around and leave Saladia and Richter. Saladia helped Richter to his feet. The two jumped down the stone steps to the bottom floor and hurried out to the passage to see Waldo in full bubble shield channeling a massive wind that the great dragon with an oak staff propped ahead of him. Richter and Saladia hurried for Ella and Dothori's frantic beckoning at the mouth of the bridge. They jogged the distance, running past Waldo as the dragon tried to strike him with a mighty paw. The attack was sparked away with a flash of light. The dragon took a deep breath and channeled pure flame through Waldo's person. He was completely consumed for the better part of twenty seconds as the dragon's efforts wore him down. When the flame subsided, he still remained standing, clutching his staff before he backed onto the bridge. By the order of the sacred keepers of the realm, I demand that you leave at once, Waldo yelled. The dragon roared at him in response. Waldo glared back over the hurricane wind he refused to let up that was driving the dragon mad. He lifted his staff and dropped it into the floor, sending a spiderweb of cracks through that panel of the bridge. Backing up, Waldo turned his back and walked away from the staff and the dragon toward his company that was staring in shocked horror at his audacity. Behind him, the dragon stepped onto the bridge to strike him before the bridge broke under its weight. The dragon collapsed into the great chasm below as Waldo walked coolly across the bridge that was crumbling at his heels. His every step was barely made before the bridge fell behind him until he reached the company. Upon reaching them, he clicked his tongue and shoved his hands into his pockets. Man, I like that staff. That was amazing! Dithoray put up a high five for Waldo. He accepted as everyone turned around and continued across the bridge. C- "'Can we admit that was basically a disaster?' Saladia thumbed over her shoulder.
1: "'Which part?'
0: Richter asked. "'All of it,' said Saladia. "'If we're going to have a chance of pulling off an actual quest, we need to be on the same page. "'Ella, shouldn't have hit the hornet's nest without letting everyone know what you saw. "'Richter, don't even get me started on you charging off into the darkness where you almost became dragon food. Honestly, if not for Dothory's quick thinking and Waldo's ungodly good luck, this whole thing could have gone south. Fast.'
1: "'Very good observation, Saladia,' Richter said. "'And she's right. I've been solo for so long, sometimes I don't think about the good of the group. "'Being on the same page is all well and good, but sometimes you gotta play a tough situation by ear. "'That's what I saw and what just happened. We worked together and here we all are.'"
0: "'You hear this guy?' Saladia thumbed at Richter. "'I save his ass from the certain doom of a dragon and he doesn't have his come-to-Omine moment. "'He's still just as stubborn as ever.'"
1: Oh, so we got an honest thief now, eh?
0: Richter retorted. How's about
1: we rifle through some of your best moments?
0: Guys, can we not? Ella sighed. None of this would have happened if Waldo didn't smoke constantly, said Dothori. Yeah, Richter agreed and glared at Waldo. Well, I thought I saved the day, said Waldo. Last time I blow my cooldowns to save your sorry asses. Forget I said anything. Sladia intervened and led the way before Richter could join her side. Didn't mean to get
1: into too much of a scuffle with ye,"
0: he grumbled. It's fine, Richter, Slotia said as they continued down the passage. There was a massive distant boom that carried through the whole of the mountain underground. Everyone paused as the walls shook. A second later, a peculiar knocking sound echoed from the rear corridor. Far behind them, the columns holding up the bridge were slowly collapsing. The bridge panels beneath them were beginning to shake.
1: That's dangerous. Really long bridge, everyone. Time to move.
0: Richter hurried into a run and as did the rest of the company. Everyone was able to outrun Richter with ease until Dothori was at his side. He wanted to say something snarky but the others were running too fast for him to speak. Saladia, Ella, Mulligan, Waldo, and Dothori hurried ahead onto solid ground as Richter barely arrived before the last of the bridge fell into the chasm behind them. "'I really hope you have a way out of here because we're screwed otherwise,' Ella said.
1: "'Don't worry!'
0: Richter held up a hand.
1: "'I'll have us out of here!' "'Soon as I get my bearings!'
0: "'You said the airport was down this way,' Slotia said.
1: "'It is. It's just buried in rubble!'
0: Richter motioned down the corridor where, at the far end of the tunnel, a large pile of rocks was blocking the rightmost passage. The roof had collapsed at that end of the hall. Afternoon sunlight shone brightly upon the mass of stones Fomor's men had ignored when they sieged the mountain nearly two decades prior. The group approached the angle in the corridor where they needed to go— a large set of stairs descended on their left, adjacent to the collapsed passage. What's down there? Dithory asked. The Royal Hall, Richter said.
1: We'll, uh, we'll just steer clear of that
0: part of the Utmortor. Richter threw his bag down and fished in it until he withdrew several fat sticks of black dynamite.
1: I was gonna loan Fillmore's Palace with this stuff if things ever got bad for me, but I decided to use it for good rather than evil. Light me, Waldo.
0: He held up the dynamite to Waldo. Waldo looked to Saladia. She had stepped up to the role of second-in-command for being far more level-headed than Richter, who could become almost religiously obsessed with his objective. To the request of M, she shrugged. Waldo grabbed the wire fuse that was several feet long. Richter planted the dynamite between the fallen stones ahead. Everyone hurried down the steps to the royal hall, where they pressed themselves against the stairs for what felt like ages. Boom! The whole place shook overhead before much of the light was blocked out. A cloud of dust whooshed over them and filled the chamber further down the path. The floor continued rumbling as the passage above settled.
1: That was probably a mistake.
0: Richter stood up and dusted himself off. <laughs> what? Ella coughed as she stood up next to him. You sounded so confident earlier.
1: I didn't think about all the remaining goblins that now know exactly where we are in the mountain.
0: Richter climbed the steps and shoved a boulder out of the way. Very nice. Slotty dusted her cloak off. At least all the rocks are basically small enough to move now. There are just fifty times more of them. She tossed several stones to one side of the steps where they skipped down to the base floor. Thori, Mulligan, Waldo, Richter, and Saladia took turns grabbing and moving the obstructing rocks from one side of the blocked passage above them while Ella kept her bow at the ready for anything that might come up from the deep. The group paused as several loud sounds echoed from further down in the chamber. I see light, Thori yelled. A sudden avalanche of stones caved down the steps as the group reflexively hugged the side of the path. Ella let off at least twenty arrows into the darkness in rapid succession. Squeals and screeches echoed in return. She fluidly drew a long elven dagger and embraced a goblin that lurched from the darkness before ending him in a black blood splatter. Saladia joined her side, flinging throwing knives into the growing number of enemies like cards at a poker game. Getting dicey down here, Saladia called over her shoulder. Watch out! Richter upheaved a large oblong boulder that went tottering down the steps dangerously. The Thori pulled Waldo out of the way as it rocked next to him to the bottom of the steps beside Saladia and Ella. Once a gap had been made, Richter was able to clamber on top of the rocks that preceded the now clear passage to the launch bay. He turned around and pulled the Thori and Mulligan up to the surface. Saladia and Ella backed up the steps before abandoning their targets. Saladia dove through the gap and pulled Ella through after her. The passage beyond the gap had become a churning mess of sweaty goblin bodies. Waldo lit another stick of dynamite for Richter, who dropped it between the stones of the threshold leading to the royal hall. The group hopped from boulder to boulder to the corridor that lay open. A dull boom shifted and caved everything behind them as the goblin kin were concealed to a forever darkness within the royal chamber of Utmor. Afternoon sunlight poured in over the still dusty hallway as the group finally found their footing upon the flat-tiled stone floor. I know you're a dwarf, said Saladia as the group continued down the corridor, but I don't think you should be in charge of the explosives anymore, Richter. Tough luck, he grunted. The six adventurers filed down the roofless stone corridor that fed to the launch bay ahead. They exited onto a large, overgrown, flat prairie that was once the tarmac for their dwarven ships. There was a large, empty workshop that had been built into the mountainside on their right, Dozens of vessels and parts had been blown over to one side of the vacant lot that was covered by the stone overhead. Richter hurried over to the workshop as fast as his short legs would carry him. Once under the shade of the mountain, he stopped to survey the damage. The rest of the group caught up. Is this what you were hoping to find, Richter? Mulligan asked. Richter rocked his head side to side. More or less, he said, picking up a hard hat from the forge nearby. Mostly less. "'The good part is that I don't
1: see any corpses,
0: "'and the best
1: planes are gone, "'which means some of the pilots and crew might have made it out.'
0: Everyone's insides turned to ice as the distant call of a dragon issued over the mountains around them. Their afternoon sunlight was fading. "'Sorry to cut the reunion tour short,' said Saladia, "'but it's almost drinking time, "'and I don't want to be stuck in these hills "'when that dragon finds its way free to sniff us out.' Richter dropped the hard hat and hurried over to the wooden door barring his office. I
1: gave up the key years ago. Should be simple enough to crack cell.
0: Richter motioned at the door lock. Saladia looked left and right and then planted a heavy booted kick above the lock, breaking it free of its hinges where it slammed into the back wall. She motioned with her hand for Richter to enter. Richter swallowed, glaring at her. He hurried inside and pulled a cot in the corner aside. He then dragged the dresser away from the corner so he could lift an old trap door. From within, he hauled out an old dusty trunk. When he opened it, his face lit up with joy. Snapping the lid closed and latching the trunk, Richter pressed a button on the side. Wheels popped out from the bottom and he was able to maneuver it fluidly with his stride. To the docks, he pointed. The group followed him past the tarmac to a ramp that zigzagged down the cliffs to a long, dilapidated wooden dock. The air began to smell salty. Another shrill call from the dragon made Ella's pointed ears perk. It's pinging us, she said as the group descended the grassy ramp. Waldo cocked his brow as he puffed on a cigarette. What's that mean? He blew out a cloud of smoke before ashing the tip of his smoldering serelea joint. It means if the dragon doesn't smell you, it can sense our fear, Ella said. When it screams, we tense. It picks up on our stress and knows which direction to go to find us. Dragons, man. Waldo shook his head. That means don't be afraid, Dothori said with her finger raised high in the air. I thought dragons couldn't see you if you didn't move, Mulligan mused. ''You're thinking of dinosaurs,'' Saledius said.
1: ''Dragons can sense humanoids up to six hundred miles away, which means it never lost the scent,''
0: said Richter. ''It's
1: just toying with us.''
0: They reached the dock as Richter and his trunk clunked onto the wooden pier at the back of the party. Everyone parted so Richter could retake the lead. He took a right down the creaky wooden planks to a large wooden building the dwarves had built to house and moor their ships. A locked, rusty metal door barred their entrance to the building. Richter looked to Saladia. Saladia withdrew a pistol and shot the door handle out. The door slowly swung open with a groan. You can pick a door lock, correct? Richter asked. Only when I need to, Saladia shrugged.
1: It's very important that you don't shoot your way through the harbinger.
0: He barked as he entered the building to find a single full-rigged ship suspended within a wooden rig above the water. The sails were rolled up upon their many masts. The barrel shape of the bow and stern expressed the Dwarven brand, marking it a Dwarven ship. Other than it being covered with dust and a little rust from the humidity, the vessel looked ready to go. Holy amine! Waldo dashed his cigarette and jogged up the wooden ramp to the top deck of the ship. He slowly walked around what was unmistakably a massive, gnomish helicopter latched to the middle of the deck. It looked more like a rectangular box with seatbelts and a propeller. Wow, cool! Dothory jogged to Waldo's side as everyone else filed onto the ship. Told you we were only two days out, Richter said, hauling his trunk onto the ship.
1: We're only minus our ship captain and a few days' rations, otherwise we'd be bound for the dark harbinger.
0: (coughs) The dragon's call shook the wooden building around them. Time to leave. Richter dropped the trunk and grabbed a lever at the edge of the wooden scaffolding that had been built to give access to the building crew. He yelled and cranked the lever back to release the wooden rig that clutched the ship. They free-fell a few feet into the water, plunking and bobbing into the ocean's surface below. You think that dragon won't follow us out to the ocean? Saladia asked as she hurried after Richter. He made his way up the steps to the captain's wheel of the ship. The dragon won't have a clue, Richter said, pulling several levers and switches beneath the ship's wheel. Everyone below deck, he bellowed. Saladia followed Richter back down the steps to the lower deck of the ship. Ella, Dothori, Mulligan, and Waldo were milling around in the mess hall as Saladia and Richter descended the steps. Richter did a head count before he mashed a red button on the wall.
1: Had to hire some expert gnomes for this one.
0: Outside, the masts collapsed and folded into compartments that were built into the ship. The group watched the masts slide through the square channels that were built for them through the different levels of the ship. Every entrance began to seal. The upper deck door slowly slid closed before the ship descended underwater. This thing's a submarine, too? Waldo asked. Why did King Velmore wipe out your people again? Because we don't like sharing, Richter stated. He marched into the control room and began piloting the ship. They traveled a few miles underwater until they were out of sight of land, and then returned to the surface. The lavender twilight sky was clear of dragons. Evidently, the one they had pissed off had lost interest and moved on to other meal opportunities. With that, the group set sail for the Rainfall Harbor six. This is awesome. Maluda grinned as she walked around the helicopter on the top deck of their ship. The rest of the group left to grab food while Richter gave her the once over of the ship. I gotta say, Richter, I thought you weren't all there in the head when you told me your plan. Seeing this, I gracefully admit I was wrong. Wait
1: until this whole thing is over to admire me,
0: Richter said smugly. Maluda looked taken aback. I wasn't admiring, just saying at least you're not a liar like the rest of the cracker jacks in this town. She wore a big, dark green jacket with a high collar that made her look as large as the average male sailor from behind. Atop her head was a black admiral's cap with the Catherian naval seal upon the upper left where the fold ran across the width of the hat. She continued her tour of the vessel as Richter explained the different functions.
1: I wouldn't do anything submariner level unless there are no other options. We had a bit of a leakage last
0: time we went under, Richter said. Wasn't planning on it. Maluda ran her hand over the wooden steering wheel of the ship. And you six plan on departing at first light in the morning. You do realize it's supposed to storm across the Adani for the better part of the next two weeks. Won't
1: matter to us,
0: Richter shrugged. Yeah, but it'll matter to me, Maluda scoffed.
1: This girl can handle anything.
0: Richter patted the banister as he descended the steps.
1: Come on, let's grab a drink. Plenty of time to get acquainted later.
0: The vessel bobbed in the ocean water as Richter and Maluda departed for the bar. The afternoon sky became grayer as it moved to the evening. Boats of all sizes, commercial and personal, came and went in a sped-up time-lapse beyond the gently bobbing ship. Sprinkles began to dot the vessel's upper deck and the hardened wooden propeller of the Dorvan helicopter. The clouds rolled in quick succession overhead until just before dawn when time slowed back down to normal. Maluda's crew slowly filed on board and began setting up. Half of her group reset and reopened the mast to their preferences, while the other half loaded food, water, lumber, and tools onto the ship for the voyage ahead. Maluda arrived early to run the checklist. They had to do some repairs on the port bow. As the drizzle moistened the shoulders of the crew, Maluda looked to the sky and massaged her chin. It wasn't extremely windy and there wasn't any lightning, yet. Sure, everything inland was fine, but what about out there where nature could determine the life of any sailor without a moment's notice? Something in the weather told Maluda that nature wasn't in the best of moods today. She heard an unnatural wailing sound as she surveyed the maps out east. When Maluda looked up, she saw a very groggy and hungover group of adventurers following Richter down the pier. As he went, Richter bellowed the lyrics to an old drinking song from long ago.
1: And here we are a-comin' to seize the boon today. We have no fear, we're runnin' to beat their arse today. Today's the day, today's the day, today, 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 hooray!
0: Can it please stop? Mulligan clutched his brow with one hand as Richter continued humming. The group climbed the steps and paused next to the helicopter on the top deck below. Weather doesn't feel right, Maluda called to Richter. Richter made his way up the steps to the steering wheel doesn't
1: feel right.
0: Yeah, it's one of those ominous feelings you get when you've been sailing a while. When it don't feel right, don't sail, my teacher always told me.
1: Chiron's staff won't wait for our feelings. We're going today,
0: Richter nodded. You're the one paying. It's your ship, just don't get us killed, Maluda said. You don't get us killed, he flared his brown eyes before descending to the mess hall with the rest of the adventurers. Perry, Maluda's first mate, met her side. He was a scrawny man with a strong sense of fashion and cleanliness. His neurosis was why their vessels were always so tidy. The meticulous mentality carried over to the sailors who were the dapperest bunch of hipsters who ever ran a vessel. Waldo and a group of her men climbed the steps from the front observation deck, their eyes bloodshot as they quickly dispersed into different directions, Waldo joining the others in the mess hall. What did he say about the weather? Perry asked. He said to go anyway, Maluda said. Do you have faith in the ship? Perry asked quietly. Maluda shrugged. Passes inspection all around. It's too heavy for my taste and the cargo seems a little uptight. She cocked her brow. All in all, I'll sail in any weather and make it through. As for the quest, said Perry, how long should we wait before we... move on? Richter said that thing has about six hours of juice altogether. Maluda nodded at the helicopter below. I'd say if they're not back by nightfall, depending on the conditions... We're pulling out. Make sure they know that. Perry massaged his mustache as he watched her carefully. You look like something's worrying you. Just, I don't know, just hate that damn harbinger, she said. Sailors avoid sailing near it because it's supposed to be bad luck. Might not be so bad if the weather was nice and all. With it rainy, I don't know. Just a weird feeling. A bad feeling? Perry asked. Not a bad one, not a good one either. Perry hummed. I'll make sure the crew takes additional precautionary measures, just in case. Thanks, Perry, said Maluda. That makes me feel a little better. Let everyone know we're departing in ten minutes. Make sure our travelers have enough alcohol for the trip. Perry dropped down the stairs. A moment later, Mulligan hurried off the boat to jog down the pier to the pub. He returned with several jugs of mead in hand just before they were set to leave. All aboard, Maluda called. Perry returned to her side. They said they're ready. Let's go. When Richter had everyone together and they were well into their third hour of the trip, he slapped a map on the table they were crowded around. It was a far more professional map of the Dark Harbinger that Richter had withdrawn from his trunk.
1: Okay, boys and girls, it's almost go time.
0: As if they were about to pull off the biggest heist in history, Richter began pointing at every single part of the map in succession as he rattled off the details of their mission once again. Each person looked to him as he explained their part in greater detail. By the end of the hour, he had explained the entire process three times in a row. A sailor in a slicker descended the steps drenched in water from being on deck. Ho! the harbinger is in view! Any other questions? Richter glanced at each person.
1: Now's the time to ask if you're in doubt about any aspect of your part. Remember, it's not just your funeral, it's all of ours.
0: When no one had anything else to clarify, Richter beckoned them to the upper deck where, from the misty, drizzly haze, they could see the eerie suspended Dark Harbinger come into view. The size of ten coliseums, the Dark Harbinger loomed ominously over the sea ahead. It had three main symmetrical points in a rounded shape that seemed to confirm the map they'd just been looking at. The six were peppered with rain and the spray of salty seawater from the unsettled waves as the Harbinger seemed to hang at a permanent distance. The day grew noticeably darker as they passed under the harbinger half an hour later. All the planning prior to that day in theory had been clear. None of the adventurers had prepared themselves for the unnatural tension the dark harbinger stirred within each of them. Seeing it, seeing its size, knowing there were unknowable ancient dangers within its depths, changed everything.
1: Everybody get your things and be ready by the copter in twenty minutes,
0: Richter said as he descended to the mess hall. The group followed him down and began gathering their equipment. Saladia took off her cloak to reveal a black, skin-tight leather suit that was fitted with at least a dozen knives or daggers of different lengths that were tucked into different places on her person. She wore a tool belt arsenal of gadgets, more knives, stacked sets of throwing knives, and two large barreled pistols on her hips. She spent much of the time everyone else was getting ready, checking each knife blade's sharpness before slipping each one back into its holster, nook, or cranny. She put a red bandana on that tucked under the neck of her suit before pulling her travel cloak back over her head. Ella had watched with interest from the corner of her eye. She had never seen a human with an elf's level of preparedness. In between a voyeuristic interest in Slodia's blade collection, Ella buckled her elvish mithril-infused tunic and leggings before sliding an elven longsword into a holster across her back opposite to the cross of her E-11 Meninga woodbow. Adjacent to the sword, Ella placed her preloaded multi-storage quiver across her back. Since money was no object, she had purchased a silver gauntlet with a mechanical buckler built into the forearm in case she encountered a tough melee fight. Richter said to expect both melee and ranged attacks. Behind her, Mulligan clutched a sheathed longsword in hand that he put on his belt and wrapped about his hip. Opposite to the sword, he tied a large alcohol flask. Even though it made him look silly, Mulligan wore a cloth helmet and a pair of fingerless leather gloves. He was about as ready for battle as an alcoholic priest could be. On the other side of the table, Waldo withdrew a mushroom from his pocket and popped it into his mouth. Dothori put a leather cap on her head that had two holes cut in the back for her pom-pom hair to poke through. She had her father's elvish dagger at her hip and wore a leather tunic over her chest. She wore a kid-sized woolen travel cloak over that and slipped on a pair of woolen gloves. Richter kicked open his trunk and wriggled into a fitting gold and tarnished silver plate breastplate with matching short-mod leggings. He withdrew an old, slightly rusty, double-bladed axe from the trunk. He put on a pair of large, gold-cuffed gauntlets that needed to be locked into his plate mail. The last thing he pulled out were a pair of boots that matched the rest of his uniform. He filled them with a bottle of oil before oiling parts of his glove and axe. Once he was finished, he withdrew a wooden suitcase and gave it to Saladia as they had discussed. Once everyone had their things, they climbed the steps and stood next to the helicopter as they drew closer to the center of the harbinger's underbelly. Save for a beam of stormy gray horizon in all directions, everything beneath the harbinger was dark as night. The party watched Richter negotiate with a slickered sailor who nodded. A few minutes later, three men carried the large barrel of Dorvan pitch that would serve as the fuel for the helicopter. Richter and two of the men guarded the fill nozzle to limit how much rainwater entered the tank, but the sea was so violent the effort was fruitless. They got as much in as they could while battling the up and down of the ship until it overflowed with black oil. Richter closed the nozzle and surveyed the sky. Is everyone ready? He called to the group. The company, looking thoroughly soaked and disheveled in their battle gear, collectively shrugged. Okay, watch your heads! Oh, and hold on! Is that what these handlebars are for? Zaladia said facetiously to Ella.
1: Sorry, we didn't get past Prototype 16,
0: Richter said. Not encouraging. Mulligan cleared his throat. The three sailors took a step back off the platform and waved at the group. Richter pulled a ripcord on the side of the helicopter device. Everyone grabbed the handles reflexively as a dark red leather balloon the size of a small house opened up from the top of their helicopter. Almost immediately, the whole wooden deck of a launch pad was swept away with the wind. The balloon spun on a series of strings overhead as their boat became small in the distance below. The group of adventurers looked between one another, silently realizing how unsafe this entire rig was. Richter motioned them over to the boxy base of the helicopter. Everyone had wondered how in the world they were supposed to get inside the thing, but then they saw Richter press part of the wall, which then flipped around to an upright wall-mounted seatbelt system. He turned around and clipped the harness around his chest. There were twelve of these rigs around the whole helicopter, allowing an experienced troop to embark and disembark with relative haste. The simple press of the center button on the harness released the victit passenger from the rig to rush into action. The group strapped themselves in as Richter brought up a handheld device with several knobs for up and down, forward, backward, and side-to-side movements. The dark harbinger above stretched and yawned across the entire sky as they were halfway to the checkpoint. Saladia, long red hair tied into a tight bun at the back of her head, licked her lips as she put on a pair of goggles and kept the suitcase Richter had given to her at the ready. The balloon seemed to lull with their suddenly stunted ascent. Dathori looked up to see the balloon disengage as the helicopter blades whirred to life, seamlessly catching them without having to compensate for lost altitude. Below, the launch pad dropped and fell end over end toward the distant ocean. The whole getup felt light as a feather. They couldn't even see Maluda in the boat within the huge, writhing Adane Sea. It became quite dark as they drew closer to the structure. Richter pressed a button to launch a flare across the wall of the massive floating harbinger. The thunder of their helicopter blades echoed off the panel of the mysterious floating artifact that slowly drifted on their right as Richter drew as close as he could to the wall. He yelled something and Saladia opened the suitcase he had given to her. She grabbed hold of the handles of the dual set of dwarven wall magnets. The moment she did, the wind caught the suitcase that had housed them and sucked it from her grasp, leaving her with a magnet in each hand. Saladia put one finger on the button of her harness before raising the wall magnet to the slick metal panel of the harbinger. There were ornate grooves etched into its every curve and being, giving it an artisan but alien look as the flare's smoky light began to fade on its descent. A light orb suddenly floated over Saladia's shoulder, courtesy of Waldo. There were two buttons on the grip of each wall magnet's handle. When Saladia pressed the left one, they glowed with an electric blue energy. Pressing the right button, the flat magnet shot forward, sticking to the metal wall. Powerful aluminum erector beams extended and retracted from the handle as Saladia pressed the button on the harness. Slipping into a terrifying freedom from the security of the helicopter, Saladia was pulled over the Great Nothing leading toward an almost certain death within the Black Sea below. The handle was pulled to the magnet against the wall, allowing Saladia to maneuver the deactivated magnet in her other hand. She activated it and let the left magnet smash into the wall, spreading her weight between each of her thin but toned arms. Saladia deactivated the right magnet and caught a sudden wind that whipped her back against the wall. She activated the right to stick before getting her footing in the wall's ornate etching. The group had briefly watched her get over the wall magnet's learning curve from the helicopter as they hovered across the stomach of the harbinger toward the center. Saladia, feeling more confident in the magnetic device, continued across the wall toward the trapezoid-shaped door panel that she would have to crack before the bottom entrance could open for the others. Her cloak tugged painfully at her throat until she couldn't stand it anymore. She haphazardly slipped herself out of the heavy woolen cloak before allowing it to be taken by the wind. It took a few minutes to get the top part of the door where a puzzle of sorts was keeping the door locked. She realized why Richter had engineered the magnets the way he did. They fit perfectly in two different slots in the door. The only problem was that the slots weren't very close together, and they were on level horizontally. Slotty pressed one into the slot, then stood on the handle of the first magnet. There wasn't much to stand on. The wind blew between her chest and the wall, making her sway. Stretching across the wall to place the magnet above the second slot, she deactivated and activated the magnet until gravity carried her down to the second slot where it slipped inside. There was a click. Sharp spikes appeared on the panel over her. The panel teetered and began to fall. She pressed the button on the handle and was launched away from the wall on the retracting, crisscrossing metal beams of the wall magnet's mechanism before the rig was slapped against the wall by the heavy, falling panel. Slotia kept her eyes closed and clutched the handle with both hands as in the same instant she was rocked and angled toward the sea. When she opened her eyes, the ocean of the world below was all around her, and the dark harbinger was directly above with the magnet mechanism trapped under the panel. Slotia took a deep breath and began climbing up the crisscrossing metal ratchet beams until she finally reached the panel. Leaning back, she was able to see that an opening had formed in the threshold above. Standing on the last of the exposed part of the ratchet beams, Slotia braced herself against the wall. Fear gripping her, she hopped ever so slightly and felt the ledge of the opening overhead beneath her gloved fingertips. She was able to pull herself up and look down a darkened corridor leading into the Dark Harbinger's underbelly. Cracking a torch, Slotia paused after her first step sank into the floor. Menacing mechanical traps whirred down the channel from the walls and floors. Spears jutted at odd intervals from every angle, walls full of knives hammered across her view, and saw blades randomly spun around the tops and bottoms of the passageway. Slotia spent several minutes watching the many hazards skewer the way forward. Then she had it. She waited for the first blade to come rushing across the floor before jumping onto that exact spot. Spears sprang up directly behind her. Before the saw blade could come back, she pressed against the right wall. As she skirted the passage, several wall blades shot through the corridor, stopping inches from her nose. Saladia continued, jogging along the wall to avoid a mess of traps that threatened to turn her into mincemeat. Literally jumping between a stack of spears, a wall of blades, and over a floor saw blade, Saladia landed in front of the door. Just as a knife shot from the wall, she stepped back, grabbed, and snapped it. There was no key and picking the door wasn't possible. Saladia fluidly shoved the knife blade of the trap she had triggered seconds earlier into the flat hole that was formed in the door, turned it, and then felt the floor fall out from under her. She slipped and tumbled down ramps before falling through a chute into a large pool of glowing blue water. Saladia clambered onto the stone walkway leading out of the fountain and sopped down the corridor. According to Richter, she was to continue as far as she could through the harbinger until reaching the staff room. Making her way down the suspended corridor now, she saw through arched windows lining the hall that the structure was just as large on the inside as it was outside. Her firelight shone upon slick, moss-covered columns that followed the hall passage around the wall of the inner harbinger. She passed through a doorway and climbed a set of steps as the only way forward wound to its end. Meanwhile, the helicopter with the five other adventurers floated through a small opening in the bottom of the harbinger. Once they were through the gateway, the mechanism on the bottom of the helicopter latched onto the lip of the disc-shaped opening as the helicopter blades slowly powered down. The group disembarked the helicopter and followed Richter to a large, circular platform. Cracking a torch, Richter surveyed the great interior of the dark harbinger. It was different than he had imagined, darker than he had imagined. Everything was bigger and more wide open from the ground floor, rather than looking at it all from a map. The levels, layers, and distance of the place would make it difficult for them to keep track of one another. Fortunately, the gnomes had sold them hardware that would ease that burden. Richter opened his suitcase and withdrew five golden earpieces that clipped onto the oracle of the ear and pressed a pad speaker into the ear's interior. There was a button on the side that allowed them to activate the speaker. Richter had already given Saladia her earpiece, even though the signal probably wouldn't work beyond the walls of the harbinger. He gave one to Ella, Mulligan, Waldo, Dothory, and clipped the last one on himself. When they ascended the steps to the upper platform, torches burst to life throughout the stadium-like inside of the dark harbinger around them. Richter opened the suitcase and extended a large antenna that turned on their audio devices. Ready? He cocked his brow as he looked over at everyone. When the group nodded, he took a deep breath. Go! 7. The Five Adventurers Split Mulligan and Waldo hurried up the ramp passage to the southeast and southwest points. Thori and Richter went the other direction, along an annoyingly long set of steps that rounded a large arena. It covered at least half the floor space of the inner dark harbinger from what they could see. As the others hurried into their necessary directions, Ella dropped her satchel of extra arrows and drew her bow. The entire dome of the ceiling had just come alive with the dark harbinger's spiders that were approximately the size of a human skull. Ella let arrows fly one after the other with mesmerizing speed and accuracy. The crawly machine creations of the Harbinger would emerge from their many chutes and immediately find themselves pinned to the cold steel bowl of the ceiling. Few slipped past her, for now. When one of the machines emerged from the darkness to attack Mulligan, an arrow sent it rocketing into the cloudy depths of the lower Harbinger. Ella rotated in a fluid circle around the platform that allowed her to see most of the ceiling, popping off arrows into seemingly random directions upon catching movement. With a hand-rolled cigarette smoldering from the corner of his lips, Waldo fist-bumped Mulligan before the two parted to their respective corners of the harbinger. At the top of each set of steps leading to the corners stood a tall crystal that hovered within a suspension field. Mulligan's crystal was red and Waldo's was blue. On the far north side of the harbinger, a third, yellow crystal hovered that Dothorian Richter had almost reached. An arrow whistled past Waldo's head, smashing a spider device against the wall next to the azure crystal ahead of him. Waldo dropped his burned-out cigarette into his pocket and took a deep breath next to the crystal. He looked beyond the crystal to Mulligan's red one. Mulligan gave him a thumbs up. We're ready on this end. Mulligan's voice clicked over everyone's earpiece. Hey, I can hear you. Saladia's voice hit everyone's ears. Drinks on me when this is all over. Mulligan said. I'll take that. Ella said before five arrows caused five of the spider contraptions to rain near Mulligan. When does this get difficult? Hey, keep the channel clear, would you? Richter said. You sound more dignified over audio than you look, Richter. Baldo said as he held the button for his speaker. Across the harbinger, Richter showed Thori to the large yellow crystal that overlooked the arena below.
1: Okay, here's your time to shine, kiddo, said Richter. Sing as much as you want for as long as you want, but soon as you do, the rest of these guys will have to keep up. That's the only way to keep the Guardian alive. You can stop when the pillar over there has been placed into the ceiling.
0: He pointed at an oddly-shaped pillar emerging from the lower harbinger that had a strange hexagonal structure resting on top of it that matched a hexagonal-shaped gap in the ceiling. What will you do? Dothori asked.
1: I'll be in the arena below. Whatever you hear, Dothori, don't stop singing until that pillar hits the ceiling. Got it? She nodded. Good. I'm counting on you, Dothori.
0: Richter clapped her on the shoulder. He turned around, gave Waldo and Mulgan the thumbs up, and pressed the button on the earpiece.
1: We're ready. Cell, are you in place?
0: I'm at that giant gap you mentioned. Probably why I can hear you guys. Saladia said over the channel.
1: Good. Stay there!
0: Richter depressed the button, winked at Dothori, and hurried down the steps. Dothori cleared her throat and began to chant an enchanting hymn she had known from memory. It was actually one of her warm-up songs. It usually took her about six minutes to get through all four verses, but she might be able to stretch it out to ten minutes for the rest of the group, and that would just be getting started. The moment she began singing, the yellow crystal illuminated with brilliant golden light. A flood of the spider creatures burst from the ceiling. Ella began moving at maddening speed to compensate for the sudden influx of targets. At the southern point of the Harbinger, Mulligan channeled his priestly light magic into the crimson-red crystal before him. It shone with a bloody light as it swirled with energy. Adjacent to him, Waldo sent a constant stream of elemental magics into the blue crystal. It gave a sea-like glow as it drew his energy eagerly. Arrows barraged through the air impossibly, spraying the ceiling with magical fire that made the spider devices rain from the ceiling. No more
1: complaining about things being too
0: easy, Richter said as he jogged down the steps and hopped onto the wooden stakes leading to the floor of the grand arena below. All three crystals had been activated and that meant the Guardian would be waiting for him in the arena. Richter's boots crunched onto the sandy arena floor where the wizard Chiron had positioned the Guardian to arise when the crystals had been activated. Within the center of the arena hovered a thin pink crystal that was half the size of Richter. Richter readied his axe as he moved closer to the crystal. A small thread of sand spiraled from the dusty arena floor to the bottom of the crystal. Richter made the motion to charge when his boot hit the ground and plunged with the sudden transformation of the field. He slipped and fell as the earth literally dropped out from under him into a gargantuan bowl of sand, doubling the size of the arena. Richter's chest slammed into the descending hill of the bowl-shaped arena floor as the crystal summoned a whirlwind of sand that became a massive golem. It had big hands and an eerie, hollow expression that seemed somehow skeletal. When Richter hit the arena floor, he did a somersault onto his feet, just in time to dive out of the way as a huge, sandy fist obliterated where he'd just been. Richter hurried into a run along the curvature of the wall as fast as his short legs would allow. The sandy monstrosity was able to look at him without seeming to move. It threw both monstrous sandy arms into the wall in front of Richter, but Richter used the propel function in his chain-wrapped gloves to fire a hook onto the sandy monster's shoulder that allowed him to tug himself onto the creature's arm as the chained hook retracted back onto his glove. Richter leaped at the sand creature's melting face before it swatted him like a fly. How's it going down there? Saladia asked as Richter lifted his face from a mess of sand. Not as well as I would have hoped, he pressed the button to reply. He shook the grit from his beard as he shoved into a run. The sand monster plunged another dusty strike at him, but Richter pulled himself out of the way once more with the gloves he'd had the gnomes designed specifically for this battle. Heads up! Moldo's voice crackled over the speaker in his ear. A small sun rocketed over the rim of the arena and smashed into the sand monster's neck. He gave a huge groan as shards of glass exploded through the creature's warbled expression. Waldo had a very narrow line of sight on the creature and had firepower to spare. All the sand that consumed the crystal's defense dropped onto the ground, leaving the pink crystal hovering in front of him. Richter made for the crystal. Just as he got to it with the axe over his shoulder to strike, a sandy figure burst into form, throwing Richter back. He was immediately thrown into combat with the quick successive jabs of a knife blade as sand ripped from the arms of a roguish enemy. Richter deflected the attacks with the flat of his axe, but only barely. If not for his years of training and watching students, he wouldn't stand a chance against such a skillful foe. It wasn't until he noticed the sand monster's simulation of long, curled hair that he realized he was fighting a copy of his own party member, Saladia. Knowing this, Richter changed tactics. It knew her well, dashing and darting like a snake with each piercing thrust of the knife blade. Ducking around the last of a series of flurries, Richter stiff-armed the sandy doppelganger, flooring the Saladia clone. A swirling cloud of dust drew the figure to its feet, firing smoky arrow after arrow into Richter's armored torso. The sand arrows pushed him but puffed to dust on his chest until he could block the majority of the projectiles being fired from the now-Ella copy with the flat of his axe. He moved in as he defended. He dove right and left before tumbling through the legs of the sandy elf duplicate. It fell into a cloud of sand swirling around the center of the arena as Richter rose to his feet. A towering mage-like figure formed into the sandy mist, clutching a familiar staff. It sent storms of sand raining after Richter as he pumped his legs in the opposite direction. He used his chain-hook gauntlets to pull himself from one part of the wall to the next. At last, he dropped the axe and jogged up the steep wall of the bowl-shaped arena until gravity's hold became too strong. Launching himself off the wall toward the massive Waldo copy, Richter raised his fist. He fired the hook at the crystal within the raging, sandy tornado of power, catching it and pulling himself directly into the fray. The sandy Waldo foe began to collapse as Richter, the pink crystal clutched to his chest between his armored arms, crashed to the sandy floor of the arena. Using one, meaty fist to hold the crystal down, he used his plate gauntlet to smash through it with the other. All yours, Saladia. Richter pressed the button at his earpiece. He watched the platform spear into the ceiling. The earth beneath his feet rumbled as the arena lifted and returned to its original setting. My crystal just went clear and fell down, Mulligan said over the channel. Mine too, said Waldo.
1: Almost out of arrows,
0: Ella yelled.
1: Everybody get to Ella and prepare for melee!
0: Richter released the button and looked up to see Dothori being harassed by a crowd of the mechanical spiders that were descending in the hundreds down the walls of the harbinger. She was trapped. He kicked his axe into his fist and locked it in position at his back. He fired his gauntlet hook into the steps leading to her, pulling himself to the wall where he was able to clamber onto the walkway with barely enough time to recover and slash his axe through a series of the four-legged mechanical constructs. Dothori crossed her arms over her chest and yelled, scattering the machines with a wave of energy from her vocals. It allowed Richter a path to her as the spider machines overcrowded the walkway behind them. Richter grabbed Dothori's wrist and the two hurried down the steps as the whole faraway ceiling seemed to be alive with motion. A heavy rumbling filled the floor beneath their feet. They fought their way to Ella just as Mulligan and Waldo reunited with her. Hundreds of thousands of the skittering mechanical spiders overcrowded the walkways as the five adventurers pressed their backs together. They still had access to the stairwell leading to the helicopter. What now? Mulligan asked. Richter licked his lips and looked to the ceiling where Saladia was to fit the last piece of the puzzle that would disarm the whole dark harbinger. Come on, Cell. You can do it. Don't fail us now! His eyes darted around the room as he realized that there was a path leading to a platform that he hadn't understood before. He looked at the chain gauntlet. They'd lose their safe exit, but maybe it was worth it. This
1: way! We need to get high!
0: He drew his axe and charged a mess of the constructs that were closing in on them. You're the boss! Waldo rocketed a fireball at the bridge beyond Richter's position. The explosion sent dozens of spiders flying off the platform into the abyss while nuking everything within. Richter finished off the last of the constructs before turning to Waldo with his eyebrows and parts of his beard singed. Too close! Maldo shrugged and bared a grin sheepishly. They reached a much more narrow staircase that looked almost like ornate wall etching and climbed to a leveled-off series of steps. Mulligan batted the constructs away with his staff as they descended from the ceiling above while clutching the cold steel of the wall. The group made their way to the long platform that would put them at spitting distance to the staff once Saladia figured out her end. Once the large hexagonal platform entered the slot ahead, Slotia saw a funhouse of traps and wires blocking her path. She hurried through the gauntlet, disarming what she couldn't avoid. At one point, she turned to see the skeleton of an unfortunate adventurer hanging on a wire. Her skill took her all the way to the arcane traps and locked doors. Large illuminated seals were etched into the doors barring her passage. It's easy for wizards and sorcerers to bypass those seals with a few spells, but Saladia had to get creative. One door required the burst of a flame. She was able to wrap four torches together, light them, and press the fiery contraption to the door's seal in order to qualify its solution. It was, thankfully, the last of Chiron's defensive parameters as the door slid apart to reveal a long, suspended walkway leading to a pedestal. Upon the center of the large stone mount stood the towering staff of Chiron. A beam of light shined from a cutout in the ceiling upon the majestic staff in the center of the room. Beyond the staff, there was a large archway leading to the clouds and sky like one could easily escape if they wanted. Saladia looked around nervously, not seeing any traps. It couldn't be this easy. She tiptoed toward the staff as the light surrounding it seemed to intensify. Her eyes darted back and forth to the ceiling to the floor all around once more. There were no corpses, but she did remember that one other had come thus far. That thief had tried to make off with the staff greedily and was punished for it. That could also have been some story Richter was making up. Saladia was roguish, had a taste for money, gold, and other niceties, but she never considered herself greedy. And yet, as she stepped up the last step leading to the rounded mount where the staff waited for her, her desire to keep the staff and understand its many functions drew near the eclipsing point of her friendship with the other party members. She had met them only recently, could live happily without ever seeing them again, and with the staff, she might be able to return to Chester and defeat Daltia once and for all. That wasn't her, though. She put her knee on the bottom step of the pedestal and reached for the white elm of the staff. Biting her lip, Saladia lifted the staff that was heavier than she would have thought from its slot in the pedestal. A tremor shook the harbinger around her. Saladia looked over her shoulder and around the room with the staff in hand. She reflexively moved back to the wall as she looked back and forth. The shaking throughout the building intensified. Slotia pushed off the wall and jogged to the window. Beyond it was a circular disc upon the roof of the harbinger with a perfect circular hole the size of the staff's circumference. Climbing out onto the disc, the wind pulled several strands of her red hair from its bun at the back of her head. She withdrew the glide scroll that she'd had in her pack for the better part of a year and a half. It would give her fifteen minutes with the weight and glide of an eagle. The option to escape was there. Instead, Slotty positioned the staff over the hole and dropped it. A spiral slide opened beneath her, knocking her onto her back. She swirled around the central pillar with the staff spearing through the channel visibly below. The staff suddenly appeared and locked into position from the upside-down mount that was identical to the pedestal that Saladia had taken it from initially, except this one was on the ceiling in front of Richter and the rest of the party. The group gaped in awe at the staff as the harbinger trembled around them. Thousands of the spider constructs had tracked them down and were scurrying over the platform in the hundreds toward the adventurers. A massive chunk of the ceiling fell, crashing dangerously close to the helicopter. Richter raised his glove and lined up the pedestal where his hook might be able to connect. He fired, but by some odd act of fortune, the hook grabbed the staff directly, pulling until it reached the ornate headpiece where it locked in place. Ah! Richter yelled and took a step back. He legitimately did not want to put all his weight on the staff, but the mechanism in the glove triggered, ratcheting the chain to reel him in. Another portion of the ceiling fell upon the path behind them, wiping out the scourge of mechanical monstrosities that were desperate to tear them apart. Ella grabbed the back metal shoulder blades of Richter's armor as he resisted the retracting chain. He clenched his teeth, trying to disarm the device, but it kept pulling. Waldo, Dothori, and Mulligan all grabbed hold of Richter, the entire harbinger coming to pieces before their eyes. Richter's boots slipped just as the platform gave way beneath him. He and all four of his companions were ratcheted through the air, swinging across the hole of the dark harbinger as everything collapsed around them. They were pulled directly to the staff, where Richter greedily grappled the staff's headpiece as Ella held onto his armor. Dothori was holding on to Ella's belt as she clutched her leg and thigh. Waldo was holding onto the locked cuff of Richter's ornate plate boot with Mulligan on the other boot doing the same. A shoot appeared and Slotius suddenly plunged into Richter. Ow! she winced as her face struck the metal blade of his shoulder plate mail opposite to Ella. Grabbing onto Richter's arm for dear life, Saladia made five people hanging from the middle-aged, dwarf's dangling figure. His fingers had a death grip on the staff's headpiece. A sudden easing of the staff in its position in the ceiling made Richter's eyes widen. A crack in the ceiling suddenly ripped through the mount holding the staff before breaking away on their left. The group collectively braced themselves as a plume of dust issued far beneath them. The staff held, but it began to loosen in its hold. What are we supposed to do? Ella yelled, disgusted from smelling Richter's armpits.
1: I I don't know! I never thought we'd get this far!
0: Richter said. The staff suddenly gave way, sliding out from its slot in the ceiling. Richter fired the chain hook at the broken part of the roof where it grabbed. The mass, weight of him and his party, tore the gauntlet in Richter's arm as they were whipped halfway to the platform where Ella had made her stand earlier. Instead of retracting and ratcheting them to the ceiling, the device creaked, popping and snapping around his wrist. The chain began to unravel and they free-fell toward the ground below. Richter angrily grabbed the chain to stop them. The metal fingers of his glove scalded the flesh of his skin beneath with the friction of their falling against the chain. The group of them fell safely to the disk of the floor as more of the harbinger broke apart. The sensation of a different kind of falling took them as they looked between one another. With the staff no longer powering the dark harbinger, the whole construct was dropping through the air toward the sea with them on board. Six of them jogged down the quaking steps of the structure toward their helicopter at the bottom of the ship. Before they could get halfway to the helicopter, that entire wall of the harbinger collapsed inward upon their only method of escape. Halting on the steps, Dothori and Saladia turned to go back when another chunk of the roof trapped them on several yards of stairs without any conceivable way out. Waldo was still watching the helicopter cartwheel toward the distant sea below in shambles. Just like that, Richter's efforts were dashed. He had a solution to everything involving the Harbinger, but without the helicopter to get them out, he had no backup plan. Mulligan withdrew the flask he had brought with him and upended it into his gullet. Waldo, hand shaking, slowly lit a cigarette. Beyond them, the storm clouds of the maelstrom below are beginning to rush by. Richter turned and Saladia placed a scroll in his hand. Don't say I never did anything for you. She spoke lowly before speaking up to the group. Everyone grab Richter! Propping the staff in the crook of his arm, Richter unrolled the scroll to see the rather uncommon glide spell some sorcerer had scryed for her. It allowed the caster to shed the burden of 2,500 pounds while giving them the eagle-like flight and bone density for ten minutes. It briefly occurred to him that she could have attempted to escape with the staff if she had chosen. She hadn't. Richter glanced at her as Dothori grabbed Richter's shoulder. Ella grabbed his other shoulder as Saladia climbed onto his back.
1: Okay, this is starting to feel like a hate
0: crime, he grunted. Leave us with the legs, eh? Mulligan drunkenly gripped the plate waist of his short leggings. Waldo did the same on the other side.
1: You two smell absolutely horrible,
0: Richter scoffed and then read the scroll that sounded like nonsense to everyone listening. When he pronounced each word correctly, the word on the scroll lit up with blue light. Once he reached the end, the scroll incinerated itself and the group slowly floated off the ground.
1: Whoa, this is pretty cool!
0: The roof, Richter! Ella cried. He looked up to see a large piece of the roof coming toward them. He swam around it with ease. They were still falling but with far less speed than before. The group of them emerged from the broken opening at the top of the dark harbinger as it descended through the great sheets of rain. They were buffeted with wind and sleet like an eagle would be under the same conditions. Everyone held on for dear life as the sleet turned to rain. Lightning lit the vast sea below. They glided with Richter's horizontal form. Far below them, the dark harbinger's massive being slowly, silently dipped and slid into the black ocean. Dothory! Richter yelled once the weather calmed around them. Hold the button on my earpiece! She did as he asked while keeping her hands around his neck. Maluda, do you read? Copy. Someone replied in all of their ears. Are you tracking us? Richter asked. Richter, knowing that if they did make it out, it would be difficult for Maluda to pinpoint his location throughout the sea, had inserted a gnomish tracking device in his armor. The gnome who sold it to them said the device had a 1 in 20 chance to explode rather than function. Richter had taken 10. Only 2 had exploded when he tested them. That was before he realized that the gnome had neglected to mention the device had a 1 in 20 chance to explode whenever it was activated. Copy, Maluda replied. Richter looked around the ocean that was getting bigger and more daunting the closer they drew. He didn't see them. Where are you? Waiting for the- To stop hitting the fan, Maluda yelled. Don't worry, Richter, I'm tracking you. Boom! Richter's eyes widened as he winced. The device had literally just exploded at the small of his back. He ground his teeth, the searing pain scalding his flesh. You just disappeared, she said.
1: Yeah, I expect I did,
0: Richter growled.
1: Activate the other one.
0: Got you. See if you can meet us northwest of your position.
1: I don't know what northwest is,
0: Richter yelled.
1: (sighs) Okay, Dothory,
0: Richter spoke loudly. She depressed the button.
1: Can any of you do anything about sharks?
0: No one replied as they glided toward the ocean's churning surface. The clouds were beginning to move away from their position as the wind chilled their faces. Guys, I think we can call this a success, Mulligan said. I don't think you can say that until we're at least on the boat, Waldo replied. We should make a club, Dothory laughed. A club that only we would want to be in, Mulligan asked. You guys have nearly gotten me killed enough that I don't think I can take part in another mission. This was a disaster, Ella shook her head. You got some new equipment out of it, you'll probably get some reward gold. Slotia pursed her lips from where she was hanging off of Richter. Guys,
1: what are we going to tell King Fillmore when we get back?
0: Richter asked. Give him the bloody staff, demand payment, and be gone, Waldo said. What's hard about it?
1: With a staff like this, Fillmore could wipe us from the face of the planet with a quick flick of his wrist,
0: Richter said.
1: He already wants me dead for lying to him about my prior position.
0: Amene, here we go, Saladia said glumly as the six of them soared above the crest of the waves for as long as possible. Richter splashed into the water as the group almost immediately scattered. Dothoria and Saladia came back still clinging onto Richter as everyone else suddenly found themselves upon the deck of an emerging ship. Meluda had tracked them to a tee using the submarine feature of the ship. The three were quickly helped up with a few ropes from the sailors. Richter's gravity was off for another minute before he slipped and fell. He groaned as he got up. Everyone had thought this boat was pretty cool until they saw the dozens of sailors rushing up from below deck with buckets of water in hand. Maluda and her first mate emerged from the stairs, looking irritated. We're on our way back, said Maluda. but if you ever hire me again, we're taking my ship. This pile of garbage is coming to pieces. It
1: was built by gnomes, what did you expect?
0: Richter shrugged. Boom! The other tracker exploded. Richter was too ecstatic with their success to care. He bit his lip through the pane as he turned and looked to the great storm behind them. The dark harbinger was no longer an eyesore to be avoided for fear of misfortune. The afternoon sun shining upon them from the west was proof enough of their prospects for that adventure. 8. Within the royal throne room of the Rainfall Castle, King Fillmore listened to financial requests from several of the scholars from the nearby Rainfall University. He held up a hand to the mustached man who was speaking as one of his muddy road guards hurried into the royal hall. He haphazardly dropped to one knee before the king, smearing mud and manure from the bottom of his boot. We've received word from Richter, the guard said. Who? The king wrinkled his brow. Oh, Richter. I'm assuming you found his charred corpse somewhere in the fields? Last I heard, he was being chased across the countryside by a dragon. No, sir, the guard swallowed as he lifted his eyes to the king. "'According to the Rainfall Coast Guard, the Dark Harbinger has vanished from the sky as of yesterday evening. "'Then this morning I recovered an arrow with a note tied to it. "'Thought some bastard was shooting at me but realized they just wanted me to give this to you.' "'The guard gave the king's assistant the note. "'The king unfurled it to scan the words written within. "'By the end the king rolled his eyes, shook his head, and crumpled the note. "'He then got to his feet, making the scholars drop to their knees.' "'Oh, piss off, I wasn't going to give you any money anyway.' He marched away to change into his travel garb. An hour later, he and a troop of fifty rode out across the drizzle-covered countryside. They carried with them a huge bounty of close to two hundred thousand gold. They descended to a flat plain that was covered with spring flowers. King Fillmore was able to see the fat dwarf upon a pony in the field in the distance. The troop hurried to a gallop as they made for him. Upon their approach, Richter dismounted his horse and positioned himself in a bow on the rock wall amidst the flowers, swaying gently in the wind. The king and his guard surrounded Richter against the base of the tall rock formation. So, you didn't get eaten by a dragon and you were successful in your acquisition.
1: Yes, sir,
0: Richter nodded to King Fillmore.
1: I'll have the staff ready for you whenever you return to your
0: castle. The king wore a permanent, irritated snarl. You set up this whole scheme so I wouldn't lob off your head, didn't you? Richter shrugged.
1: Yeah, I suppose I did. Knowing how you treated my people nearly two decades ago, I wouldn't trust a damn word from that bastard, backstabbing mouth of yours.
0: The king's eyes lit up as he looked taken aback, an audible intake of air issued from his men at the same time. How dare you, dwarf, Fillmore spat. I should have you slaughtered where you stand. uh uh, uh. Richter waved a finger at Fillmore before he lifted it over his shoulder. Two hooded archers suddenly appeared from the cliffs overhead with their bows trained upon the king.
1: "'We really don't want trouble. We just want our money and then we'll be on our way.'
0: "'And what if I just kill you where you stand?' the king asked.
1: "'You're not going to kill me because then this whole thing would have been a complete waste of time. We have the staff, as I mentioned in the note. You have our money in that card at the back of your train.' You're going to let us go with the money and you'll find your staff in the rainfall treasury. Any deviation from that plan and you'll never see that staff in this lifetime.
0: The king's eye twitched at being boxed in like this. How do I know you'll deliver on your end? Richter shrugged again.
1: I guess you kind of don't. You know the harbinger is gone, so you can assume I have the staff.
0: It's a lot of trust on my part, Richter, and it seems as though I'm being played. Fillmore gave a sarcastic smirk before looking up to the archers. On the other hand, you leave me with very little choice.
1: Do you want the staff or not?
0: Richter asked. King Fillmore gave a heavy sigh. Fine. We'll leave the card for you, but so help me, Amine. If I ever see your ugly face in rainfall again, I'll cut it off myself. The king turned his horse around and trotted back from whence he came. The whole train of his guard wheeled around and followed him back to the road far in the distance beneath the foggy gray sky. Ten minutes later, the only thing that remained in the field was the cart full of their reward money for the quest. Saladia, Ella, and Richter descended upon the cart, counting the many stacks of gold coins. It's all here, Saladia said. I'll have Waldos in the signal. Richter nodded and closed up the cart. They were able to hook their horses to the cart and draw it back to the docks where Meluda was waiting. She and her men helped load the treasure onto the ship before they departed for Rainfall to pick up Mulligan and Dothory along with the essentials for a long voyage. They were headed back to Charton where they could actually enjoy the fruits of their labor. When King Fillmore returned to the castle, he found that Richter did not fail to deliver. Sitting in the king's treasury, within a hand-carved wooden mount, the staff was positioned in an upright position for them to see. There was an ugly cut in the headpiece where Richter's hook had scarred the staff's pearl finish. He picked up the staff from the mount and held it in his hands. The power coursed between his fingers. He could feel it like a current of electricity. A sinister grin spread across Fillmore's face. He licked his lips before turning on one of his assistants. The man held up his hands as Fillmore tried to kill him with his intention. Instead, Fillmore himself ruptured and exploded as the staff clattered to the floor amidst the disgusting mess that had once been the king. The guard, shivering as he looked at his blood-splattered hands, shrieked and looked from the staff to the king's crown that lay on its side. He swallowed hard before bending over to pick up the long, seemingly harmless stick. Leave it, Zachary Fillmore ordered from the doorway. Yes, my lord. He bowed and stepped back as Zachary slowly picked up the staff in front of him. Zachary squinted at it as he examined its smooth, electrifying touch. Interesting. He grinned as he looked at the mess of his father before him. Zachary placed the staff back in its mount. Go fetch someone to clean this up, he ordered without a bit of remorse or sadness. The guard hurried away as Zachary leaned against the wall next to the threshold. He observed the staff from the shadows as his men made to clean up the blood that was seeping into the cobblestone floor. Nine. Two weeks later, Slotia and Richter stood before the abandoned bar that overlooked the balcony on the sixth floor of the Tower City of Rowe. Far in the distance below, they could see the rolling green fields surrounding the city. Richter tried the doorknob. It came off in his hand. He scoffed and yanked the door open. There had been multiple riots in the building since the recent regime change. The two slipped in through the opening in the door, crunching over pieces of broken glass. Richter walked over and sat at the dusty ransacked bar. He turned around on the seat, surveying the steps leading to the bedrooms upstairs. Saladia sat next to him. What do you think?
1: I think it's perfect.
0: He felt content as he looked around the silent mess around them. They could hear the street traffic outside as pedestrians made their way through the city. A minute later, the door pushed open. A short man in a nice doublet squeezed through the mess blocking the entrance. Oh, I see you two have already arrived. He sighed. We'll take it, Richter grunted. But you haven't even seen the place, the man said.
1: Yeah, and we'll take it,
0: Richter said. Oh, okay. The man looked to Saladia, who lifted a hand with a grin to confirm her partner's decision.
1: Do you think we could get Marv to relocate to Roe?
0: Richter asked. Maybe. Depends on how much cash we pull in after we get started, Saladia said.
1: We'll pull in cash. Don't you worry about that, said Richter. With the meat I have in mind, we'll be swimming in cash before we close out our first quarter.
0: You think so? Saladia asked. I guarantee it. So it's a done deal, then. The realtor asked, adjusting his glasses on his nose. Richter held out his hand. The man shook Richter's and then Saladia's hands. In that case, we just have a little paperwork to do, some notaries, and then you guys will be able to move in possibly by the end of the week. Before I get out the papers, I'm required to ask what you plan to do with the establishment. It's a given that you'll probably be making a bar, but what did you two have in mind as a title for your business? Richter and Saladia looked at one another.
1: "'You got us, we're making a bar,' said Richter. "'But we also plan on pioneering the League of Extraordinary Heroes from this location. "'We'll be the go-to source for finding the right adventurer for the right quest.'
0: "'We've already received multiple inquiries after our last mission, "'even if the king did explode himself shortly after we completed it. "'Not our problem. "'He should have known the risks,' Slottya shrugged. "'So, the League of Extraordinary Heroes?' The man cocked his brow at the two as he jotted that down on his notepad. Till we come up with a better name, sure, Richter said. All right, then. In that case, I'll see you two soon. The man departed, leaving Saladia and Richter in the dilapidated bar that would soon be their new home. You know, I think I'm a big softy at heart. All of these guys were supposed to die except Richter and Saladia. The original outline I had in my head was of an advanced Dungeons and Dragons group, powering through a dangerous dungeon as each person gets picked off. The acquiring of the staff actually required the deaths of multiple adventurers. But who would want to play that dungeon? Or with a DM who killed their characters as part of the story? That's one thing I learned from my time of playing D&D in high school. You gotta have a good story, otherwise the whole thing is a bunch of math and creativity for nothing. If you don't learn something about yourself along the way, it's not worth playing at all. That's why I both gravitated to the game and also moved beyond it relatively quickly. Now I make DM calculations for all my stories based on my own grasp of physics. There are no dice, but you can do the math in your head. As for our new heroes, you can tell there will be more adventures to come for this band of travelers. I went easy on them this time, but I won't make the same mistake twice. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. See you next time. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast was produced, directed, written, and voiced by Benjamin Allen. If you'd like to support our podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a good review, like, or check out our donation page on the contacts page of our website. You can also purchase my books and audiobooks in the future. Visit ekpublishingmedia.com for more information. The Apocalypse Theater Podcast is an EK Publishing Media Production 2020.